welcome back to SideQuest. It is May 23rd, 2021. My name is Mike Tyson, and joining me today, Mr. Eric Peterson. I think you'll find it's pronounced 2021. Yeah, well, you can shut the fuck up. And joining us for one of his rare appearances, and I'd love to know his opinion on Wayne's World, it is General Spendington himself, Mr. Zach Foley. Hello, hello, hello. You may throw coins at my feet because I may need them. (laughs) (laughs) I had an expensive couple weeks. What do you want? Well, General Spendington is as General Spendington does. (laughs) Yeah, we both did. And then, and then, Lady Spendington doesn't help. <laughs> oh God, houses are so much more expensive than video games. Oh, well, at God, least currently, no. that seems to be trending the other way, though. Yeah, well, it depends on where you live. My, uh, I, I, I had a fun week because I got to f- got in a fight with my tax appraiser by like arbitrarily raising the value of my house like a huge amount of money in one year for zero reason other than, <laughs> hey, we want more tax revenue. <laughs> How about no? Yep. <laughs> oh, God. So, Welcome Zach, how about Waynesworld? Tell Eric how about oh, Don't <laughs> Just don't feed into this. Don't. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm a product of the 90s, I have to admit. I really enjoyed Waynesworld. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I have to. I like. And it is. it is. It's ingrained. It's like by contract law. I have to hate everybody and like Waynesworld. That's the product of my 90s-ness. I went to a Nirvana concert. That was the end of it. Oh, jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I actually went to two. Oh, even more jealous. Doubly so. (laughs) I've been to a lot of great concerts. I I cataloged them uh, not too long ago on Facebook for somebody because I I always happen to say that when somebody goes like, oh, I really like this band. I'm like, oh, I went to see them once. And somebody's like, man, you you just say you go to everything. I'm like, no, hold on. Let me write down every show I've been to and try to go through my ticket stubs. And there was a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like that sometimes. I'll say to someone, I went to go see them at such and such. It'll be a big gig as well. And they'll be like, oh, when was it? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. It was at some point in the last, I don't know. 34 years that I've been alive. (laughs) I ain't got a fucking clue. (laughs) Factory Sealed Concert Cast. Welcome to it, kids. It's a whole new show. (laughs) So how are you today, gentlemen? Uh, Good. Good. I feel like I'm finally over the COVID vaccine hump. Oh, good for you. I I don't see a Microsoft Xbox, so apparently you are now immune. But I am losing compatibility with my PlayStation very slowly, which I don't remember who said that. But someone someone mentioned that uh, on the last show I was talking about how I feel like I'm losing my skill with Warzone. Like, well, it's because you had your vaccine. You're losing your compatibility with PlayStation. You should probably start playing it on the Xbox. Did you give it a go on the Xbox to see what happened? I didn't. No games. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Mm. Price. all games it's no good is it yeah no good. No that's good a pain in the ass man I, I gotta tell you to have a whole console with no games on it it's just ridiculous i mean it seems like a waste of resources but that netflix app though <laughs> it is right well, at least you think there wouldn't be such a semiconductor shortage would there if fucking xbox went with microsoft weren't making these consoles you can't that's play how much on. money bill gates has like you know what i'm just gonna create one third of an entire market and make it entirely useful, but still dominate it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah I, I, I mean, I, I thought, I thought there was lots of punctuation in that sentence. The comma was like connect. And then there was a whole <laughs> session on the Microsoft HD DVD drive. Can I talk about how pissed off I am about that? Cause I was totally oh, backing you, the Microsoft yeah, HD say, DVD drive. Did you back the wrong horse? Uh, well, I back in Betamax. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. So I, I just I thought HD DVD was like uh, the obvious better standard uh, because I didn't know much about it. 
Um, and it sort of hit the market first. So I was all in, man. And then I got the HD DVD drive for the Xbox. And I was like, wow, this sounds like an actual helicopter taking off in my house. So anyone who's unfamiliar, <laughs> if you thought the console wars of the 90s were intense, the Blu-ray versus HD DVD uh, format war was World War Three by comparison. It was yep. incredible because it, it wasn't people who were like, yeah, I mean, whoever comes out, I mean, they're both going to be good high definition formats. Like you blindly backed your horse and people who, who bought into HD DVD bought in heavily and yeah. watching that crumble and then just looking at their shelves of HD DVDs going, well, these are worthless now. And you could pick up dozens for a dollar when they were clearancing them out. Yeah, you can still do that on eBay. The thing is, though, when it was VHS versus uh, Betamax, the internet didn't exist. That's the true. issue with the uh, Blu-ray yeah, and HD DVD. True. The internet exists, and you, you apparently you've got to back aside when you're in, in the internet, and you're not allowed uh, to change your opinion no, no. matter what information <laughs> is given to you. These are the same fucking Star Trek versus Star Wars people that are just ready to die on a hill for it. <laughs> Didn't and you like, just in the unwrap say that you weren't going to bring up Star Wars? <laughs> no, fuck that. I I just said like no, get ready for it because like oh. all the hate's going to show up. But I I'm mean, amazed like, that this I got is, no this hate. Is a thing. I'm like, amazed I got no hate on the last episode for enjoying both. To be honest, oh, God. that's good for you. That's yeah. how dare you? How dare you <laughs> cite an opinion that's like they're both fine? Yeah, um, I say I don't like Wayne's World, and the wrath of the entire internet comes down on me. Yeah, but it's you. That's different. Yeah, it's true. It's oh, true. okay. I see. I'm not allowed yeah. to like or hate anything. So I'm older than you both. So I'm going to say this. Like I've had this hatred focused at me forever because for years and years and years, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. And uh, I, I have to say my hatred of the Lord of the Rings has definitely cast a shadow over me. And it's not because I hated those movies. It was because I really hated having to fucking reread those books in high school. Oh, yeah, um, I can imagine. And like I, I went through a, a period where like I was sort of advancing faster. So I think in the fifth grade we had to read um, the Fellowship of the Rings. And then I got into the sixth grade. But in I was really fifth grade. Like, yeah. Oh, my God. And then when, when I, I got to fifth grade, I couldn't fathom having my children that I was teaching read that. Oh, yeah. I read it in the fifth grade. And when I got we to the sixth grade bridge to Terabithia and they could barely contain their ex- uh, their, their uh, <laughs> knowledge of that massive spoiler. Yeah, it was a it was a different era. Like we were crossing over into the nineties. Like people felt they were genuinely smarter. And I have to say, after hearing my teachers dissect the Lord of the Rings, they're they're not. <laughs> <laughs> when I was teaching high school, um, I had my freshman read The Hobbit, but that's as close as I got to anything intellectual. <sighs> Man, that my my high school and middle school English teachers did so much just raw emotional damage. I mean, they were still making you read like Hawthorne. I had to read and dissect the Scarlet Letter, which yeah. I'm telling you right now, if you want to tell somebody to read and dissect the Scarlet Letter, fuck you. Fuck you right into the ground <laughs> until you're fucking dead, because that shit is awful. It's, it's awful Scarlet no matter how you Zach. slice it. Huh? Scarlet Letter fans will be after you. That's it. Oh, man. Oh, All you know, four of you can go fuck yourselves. Same thing with uh, <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird and The Great Gatsby. So yeah, my high yeah. school had a massive boner for those three books, Scarlet Letter, Great Gatsby, and Kill a Mockingbird, and I wanted nothing to do with them. Yep. Oh, and what was the other one that everybody gave shit for? It was um, uh, Catcher in the Rye. 
And I, I had that South Park moment where I remember reading The Catcher in the Rye and hearing a whole bunch of shit about it, how it was like this awful book and how it was profane. And I read it and I came out of it just like I came out of The Scarlet Letter. How the hell did you do a book that was profane with nothing that happened in it? Like, how did you make a whole fucking book about adultery and there was no sex? There was no interesting characters. There was no, like, emotional content. There was, was a, a whole lot of words, but when I put them together, nothing yeah, happened. There was a fucking five-year-old that talked like she was a boring 35-year-old middle like. <laughs> middle school teacher and like and a whole bunch of people that went like and she was shit you know that was it that was the whole scarlet letter <laughs> see i don't Welcome know if this is just refle- reflective of yeah, sorry <laughs> i don't know if this is a reflective of the english education uh, system in in total or whether it's just a reflection of my school but just when we were at school we, we didn't do most of that shit they just seem to have a massive hard on for shakespeare and we just did that shit oh god even worse yeah yeah, that's a. Uh, I, I don't. Many stage at least <laughs> I, I can at least read into like the Shakespeare and understand like the methodology for teaching that. I cannot support the idea of teaching Nathaniel Hawthorne or the horrible, horrible Ethan Frome damage that was done to me. Like all the 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 pseudo American classics are just garbage. I can't take it. I can't. I I don't ever want to read. Would you anymore. care to tell me your opinion on Mark Twain? Yep. <laughs> okay, finally somebody else who understands. I feel like Zach's going through some PTSD here. Is this therapy for you? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Oh, hey, dude, I know I went all the way through school. Remember, like I went all the way through like elementary school, middle school, high school, grad school, college. Yeah, like I did the whole bit. So there's been lots of damage done to me. There, I And I went in a weird fucking period. Like I went and I have a fairly techie degree and like I was learning from non-techie people in an age where the tech was just being developed. So like I remember going to like a computer science class where the you know the professor was being really shitty with me about like well you can't use your calculator f- to figure out this equation what are you going to do if you have to figure this out on your own and you don't have any calculator I'm like oh so in your imaginary scenario like when all the calculators are in the world don't work and I have to figure out how to like do this networking thing well like I'm going to stop doing the networking thing and sharpen a <laughs> sticks because even if the calculators stop working like we're fucked like society is just gone it's, <laughs> it's like tomorrow if somebody comes out with a fleshlight attached to a VR headset and any trucker can have like sex with Claudia Schiffer by the side of the road like fucking society is just over like (laughs) it's all done it doesn't take much to make all this shit crumble and that's it Computers stop working. Today, Eric. Porn is just readily available. I'm telling you, fucking society's over. So that's the end, guys. This is the how the world ends. It's not with a bang. It's a whimper. And it's when the calculators die. Keep an eye out for it. Because exactly. your calculator on your desk runs out of battery, fucking board up yeah. the windows. Yep. I mean, just like when the battery runs out in your Saturn. Like, that's even an easier problem to fix than Especially your battery and your calculator. Your computer going to shit. Three bosses on Mega Man X4. Oh my god, it's awful. <laughs> I know this isn't a retro. This is this is our de- decidedly non-retro show, but I just need to vent about that goddamn Saturn controller for a second. Because good god, fuck that thing. So hard. Whoever I was never a huge fan of the Genesis in the 90s, but like I could appreciate the ABC buttons in a row and then when the 6 button controller came out, I'm like, mm, I mean, it's kind of fucking pointless, but you know, at least there aren't a ton of games that require it. No, the Saturn came with its standard so every game utilized it and if you think having three in a row is bad have two rows of three where your muscle memory doesn't understand where this shit is and it's not functional 
to have to press A and then jump all the way to the top right corner for Z to do something in arbitrary. Fuck I just feel controller. like the ergonomics didn't exist back then. Like when they were making controllers, did they just not even like just test this shit? Well, I think Sega just <laughs> wanted to be different. They're like, oh my god, well they've got they've got a plus. Let let's put all of our buttons in a row. It'd be like if you took a keyboard yeah. today and somebody said, you know what, I need to make something that stands out, and they took every key on the keyboard and made one row, and the damn thing wrapped around you like a cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> fucking keyboard, keyboard. Could you imagine trying like. to type like that? That's like trying to play Mega Man on the Saturn controller. Oh man! And not just that, but didn't wasn't the Saturn controller the one, or maybe it was the Dreamcast that had like the hardest edge D pad ever? So like, God help you if you try to play a fighting game on it. Like, oh, I just lost a piece of my thumb. No, because the like, Saturn was more of like a it was like a rounded ball with little oh, that's circle right, that's indentations. Right. But, you know, I posted a, a comment about that and somebody actually made me aware of the control that I didn't think I really knew happened. Uh, the Gen 2 model of that was apparently mm. a little bit more ergonomic. And I finally got so fed up with it that I just pulled out the hideous Saturn 3D controller. Oh, yeah. started the, playing with that just because that's Dreamcast more comfortable one. to hold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't so, think I've ever seen a Gen 2 controller for the Saturn. They're it's a little just, bit more ergonomic. Yeah, in fact, you can buy them now. Um, now that the retro market's back out, like if you buy a replacement Saturn controller, it, it for all intents and purposes comes in like a Saturn, an original Saturn box. It's just new, um, and it's based on the Gen Two design, which I think it was probably better. But yeah, I agree with you. I don't think ergonomics were a thing that was real focus. I mean, and Sega started that right because they went from the three button Genesis controller, which was just ungodly, unwieldy, and terrible, mm-hmm. to the six button, which was better but way too small and then they just never sort of i don't think they ever did any serious design work or like focus grouped anything i don't think I don't anybody think they who ever, ever had up, somebody hold the controller before they released it or at least a human right like whoever picked up a dreamcast controller and went like this will be good for stuff like the dreamcast oh. controller was wretched and not just because it was unwieldy but because it had like a a ridiculous set of um like hard edge buttons and like everything was almost too clicky and it had the stupid spot for the vmu which yeah nobody but used for i think anything. the most important thing you're forgetting about the dreamcast controller though is that if you were playing a game with someone and they beat you there were sharp edges on the bottom that you could stab the other person <laughs> that's with. true that's true <laughs> I, I do remember, I mean, you're blasting on the Dreamcast controller, but the, the very few times I held a Dreamcast controller, I seem to remember I the analog sticks like being it. quite, not analog, the fucking shoulder buttons being uh, quite comfortable. The triggers, sorry, not shoulder The triggery, yeah. They were actually the very were comfortable. That set the stage for the Xbox controller. Yeah, mm. the only problem with the Dreamcast triggers were they were way too squishy. Yeah, um, they weren't, yeah, they they weren't analog though either, were they? I don't remember, but I remember the activation point was way too far down because I used it to play <laughs> it was fighting really games. Really far. I remember trying to play Crazy like, Taxi. Like, mm. Are you gonna fucking move? Are you gonna move? Oh, there it is. <laughs> Triggers Just coming out the front still side of the push controller. The yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a uh, the nineties was an interesting period for video games, and I mean, we don't even have to talk about the weirdo offshoots like the Jaguar and the 3DO, which had I am controller- in this unhealthy hunt for an Atari Lynx. That is unhealthy. So I recently set up a completely legitimate um, computer for my brother-in-law that has all of the games on it possible. And I fired up the Atari Lynx because I've never played anything on it. it. Lots of Minesweeper. Lots. (laughs) And uh, there's some fun games on the Lynx. There are. I tell you what, I did not know that there was a portable version of Rygar. 
Oh, buddy, that is bad. That is real bad. But every time I go to the store, the only Lynx games that I've ever seen are that F1 racing game. And I can't even think. I'd know the picture to see it. But I've only ever seen like five or six Lynx games. I can't get to it right now. But yeah, actually, uh, Ninja Gaiden exists on the Lynx, too. There's a couple different of them. Uh, they, They remade the arcade game. And I think Ninja Gaiden 3 was on the Lynx. And it was good. Yeah, I want exactly. I want a Lynx. I think I'm ready to take the dive into the Turbo Graphics, but I'm not going to consult you because you will encourage me very poorly on what to buy. Yep, um, all of it. Yeah, <laughs> the expensive ones. You need uh, all of it. <laughs> I would like to find the Turbo Graphics Express, to be honest. Yeah, the the Turbo Graphics Express is a holy grail for a lot of collectors, and it's because it's it's really the best way to play those original Hue card games. The screen is great, um, the battery life is decent. Um, so you know, just expect to pay like six or seven hundred dollars for a good one. Uh, Zach, I was about to ask you if you picked up that Ninja Gaiden Master Collection, but it's not out yet, is it? Are you are you jumping in? No, um, and I have some thoughts there that like go into conspiracy mode. <laughs> So, um, hang on, yeah, wait, wait, so wait, wait. There's a tinfoil hat. Yep, get the hat. Put it on, get it on, <laughs> put it on. So, um, Ninja Gaiden fans will know this. So, just a real rip, quick recap uh, Ninja Gaiden, the reboots of those released on the original Xbox um, or started there. And then very quickly, um, it was determined that, you know, hey, while these are exclusive to Xbox, we could make like this variant um, for PlayStation so that we can have, you know, multiple platforms. Well, the guy that made him, um, his name is Itagaki. He did not want that. Um, and he just kind of thumbed his nose at the whole project um, and said, like, yeah, you can do it, but I'm not going to have anything to do with it. So those became the Sigma game. So there was Ninja Gaiden 1, 2, and there was a third one called Razor's Edge. And then there's Ninja Gaiden 1, 2, and 3 uh, Sigma that are the sort of PlayStation offshoot brands. And the problem that I have with it is that the Ninja Gaiden games were focused on ultra difficulty um, precision of movement and it was really kind of the first Dark Souls right it was really the first game that held you to the line of if you were not perfect with your combat you were not going to get very far and anybody if you don't believe me go try and play Ninja Gaiden Black oh, um, on Xbox Game Pass it's one of my favorite games of all time um, and it's insanely hard uh, for right from the get go so the Sigma games addressed that and it was his team that had said like hey we want to sell more games so we're going to make these a lot more accessible And in the middle of that, they also said, well, we also don't like all the violence and the gore. So there was no more blood. They did a lot less dismemberments, which was kind of a big thing in Ninja Gaiden. Um, And then they pushed out these Sigma ports. Well, I'm here to tell you that uh, Tanambaro Itagaki, uh, a nice guy. I actually know him. um, He's a train wreck. (laughs) Just in terms of like HR, sexual harassment. This is the man that birthed the idea of Dead or Alive and Dead or Alive Extreme. He was involved Beach volleyball? in this. Love yes. that game. Got me through many nights in high school. <laughs> I'm not gonna, no, no follow-up questions. Uh, so, <laughs> now we explain that circle that Ben talked about. Anyway, so oh I'm not going to tell that story. <laughs> That's a, that is a, wow, I can't believe you remember that. I was there the day that circle was uncovered. Anyway, so that that can be a, a, a one of those long reaching jokes that'll go forever and I'll never tell. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so Itagaki got kicked out of the company. Uh, it, this was all part of Tecmo. Um, and when he got kicked out, Tecmo. it was 
It was not a good kick out. Uh, it was ugly. He he sued them. They sued him. It was not a nice departure. This was right around the time that Ninja Gaiden 3 was just wrapping up development. Ninja Gaiden 2 had just come out. Um, and they just basically kicked his ass out. And I'm not saying that that was the wrong decision. Obviously, there was some stuff going on internally that was bad, like sexual harassment claims and all that stuff. And he had apparently had an affair with one of his assistants. And like, uh, it was just a nightmare. Um but they have really sort of relented doing anything with Ninja Gaiden since. And I think this is Tecmo um, just playing that. I don't want to talk about it anymore card. They had Dead or Alive. That seemed to go on pretty well for a number of years. Um, so they didn't really need him. So my problem with the remastered collection that's coming out is that it's not the original games. It's the Sigma games. And then there's a bullshit line about like, oh, we lost the source code to the original game. Oh, bullshit. I, I, I do not buy it. <laughs> I just, just like don't NASA buy it. saying, you know what? We lost the original recording of when we went to the moon. I get that happens. <laughs> like, I totally get that stuff like that happens, but I don't believe it happened in this case. I think there's probably some um, some contract clause that says if it ever gets remade, they have to pay him something. So instead of making his remaking his games in the collection, they were making the Sigma games, which, again, are not bad games, but they're much easier uh, they don't have any of the blood or the violence. And then it, that just kind of it, it so just the loses the tone of the games for me. Yeah, I don't like that. Oh. So I'm, I'm going to avoid that. So my simple answer is no. No. Next time, just say no. Yeah. I knew there was some controversy, but I didn't I didn't know the details. And I knew you, Mr. Ninja Gaiden himself, would elaborate. And honestly, like, despite me ragging on Xbox all the time, like, that is a good reason to own uh, an Xbox Series X or uh, even a One X is because the Ninja Gaiden games are backwards compatible and you can play all of them and they all look ridiculously good um, and they're sort of upscaled bring forward. Um, So I don't really see a need to buy the collection because I can just play those. I mean, to be fair, like, you know, I, I know we kind of have the Xbox has no games joke and everything like that. And, you know, <laughs> despite the fact I've only the past few years owned an Xbox as, as well as a PlayStation, I got a lot, of shit, a lot of shit about being an Xbox apologist. But considering, um, you know, this show is uh, offshoot of our retro show and the majority of our audience are oh. retro game, you know, interested in retro gaming, you know, Xbox, I don't think gets enough, enough due for what it's doing for backwards compatibility and for what it's doing to enhancing old games. Yeah, sure. Especially when PlayStation's basically just fucking throwing away their history at the moment, you know. Well, and I mean, yes and no, because I think they're doing a good job bringing the last generation of games forward. I mean, certainly the certainly the, you know, like the Last of Us patch was really good. The Days Gone patch is good. Mm. Um, I like to see those types of things. Those are low hanging fruit. They shouldn't be that hard to accomplish. But I do want to see them do more with their backwards compatible library. The thing that I disagree with is I do not want to see them do the same thing Xbox is doing with like, hey, we're going to arbitrarily make this game, you know, from 30 hertz to 60 hertz. Um, I I don't think that always works in game design. Oh, no, no, no. It doesn't work always. But when it does work, it's nice. when it does work, it's nice, but yeah. I don't I don't need that. Um, and the auto HDR thing just kind of changes the art. And I understand it's necessary for some displays, but like I, I want all the options to be so very optional. What you're saying is that it's important for them to preserve the artistic vision of the original. game. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, because games are a product of their time, right? Like, they look, are, if yes. you brought Goldeneye up to 60 frames a second just arbitrarily out of nowhere which would be fucking impossible because the game runs at like 12 frames a second (laughs) and you up-resed it to 4k like 
it doesn't matter if you do those things. It's not Goldeneye anymore. Yeah. And well, honestly, I guess, it won't hold up because it's kind of a shitty game. I guess so more, I, of technical, uh, more of a technical uh, example would be the Goldeneye with, fans will be after you now, Zach. Uh, yeah. <laughs> with well, the original... I, mean, I love Goldeneye, but Goldeneye only works as a game as a product of its time. If you go back and try yeah. and play Goldeneye oh, yeah, now, agreed. it's not fun. Not fun. Yeah. Well, <laughs> to that point, if you look at the original Silent Hill, if they were to pull that forward and say, you know what, we're going to tweak this, improve the draw distances, and as such, we don't need all this fog... So, because you can see further, because that's the whole reason that the fog was created was to hide the shitty draw distance within that game. It would completely change the artistic vision of it. Well, well, this is what they—that's yes. what they did with the Silent Hill collection on PS3, wasn't it? Oh they got rid God, of the yeah. fog because oh, yeah, yeah the HD and yeah. those ports were fucking awful. It's I've rare that they make an them, HD remake and make it worse than the originals. <laughs> yeah, and they certainly did. They, the Silent Hill two version in there, awful. But I, I agree and disagree, Zach. Like, you know, I think increasing the frame rate on the games, great, but only when it's, it's needed and it works. You know, there are some... Yeah. Way, I, I can't think of any examples of my head. You could probably pull some up. But, um, you know, there are some they've done it to and it's just it's just fucking with the game. And it's just not working. But I know... Um, I mean, obviously, it's designed to work at 60 hertz anyway on PC. But, you know, Skyrim now runs at 60 hertz properly on... A, on um, fucking series x and um i think dishonored is a good example of it i've not played it but apparently dishonored running at 60 frames on there apparently works really really fucking well and it's um it's putting a bit, a bit of life into that game actually a lot of people have been playing that online and yeah I, i've seen I, I think that's terrific and i again i i love them copiously for all their efforts to sort of keep their uh catalog up to date and maintained i'm also going to say once again for the record that they wouldn't have to do that if they would just focus on first party ip um and so we're probably lucky that they're not right because xbox has like what five stable games that they consider like their top tier aaa (laughs) it's halo forza gears there's probably a couple others that i'm missing there but like if they had more than that they wouldn't be doing this stuff with backwards compatibility so it's you know for me it's a it's a it's a tricky question of which do i think is more important i'm glad we have console providers that are focused on different things because i think they can exist together like this I'm glad you brought up them having uh, first party IP and everything, actually, because uh, something's been bugging me recently. So obviously uh, they acquired uh, Bethesda. Um, one of the big rumors coming this week from Jeff Grubb at VentureBeat, who usually has his finger on the pulse, is basically he, he's reported that Starfield is going to be an Xbox exclusive and everyone's kicking off about it um, because obviously PlayStation fans. And something that really kind of has irritated me this past week is with this conversation about whether exclusives are bad or not only ever seem to apply when it's not PlayStation having exclusives. You know, Xbox always has this thing of, oh, they don't have enough exclusives. PlayStation's great because it has all these exclusives. And I know you can argue that, well, Bethesda were making it for both platforms originally, but you can argue, well, Insomniac used to do that as well. Um, But it seems to me like this argument only ever seems to come up when it's PlayStation getting blocked out from the games. And I know you you can argue exclusives. Are you aware how fanboyism works? Yeah, I know, I yeah. know. But it's just always interesting whether, you know, the yeah. argument is always there. You know, the Xbox has no games joke comes from the fact that Xbox has very little first party. And, you know, we always bang on about how great PlayStation is because it has those exclusives. And, you know, their exclusives are fucking good. But well, as soon as we the, get to that moment where something's going to be exclusive to the Xbox, everyone's going, oh, is exclusivity bad? Is exclusivity bad? Oh, why can't we get this on PlayStation? You know, it's, it's, I, I well, hate the, these sort of the arguments. Have you know, kind of, makes the roles have kind of reversed since the PS3, Xbox 360 era because when those games came, when those two consoles came out, 360 had everything. Oh, yeah. fucking took, Rise of the Tomb Raider, year exclusive. Like, it, that was yeah, yeah. Took, PlayStation 3 a good nine months to find its legs. 
where yeah. everything like, was out on Xbox 360. So the roles have kind of reversed in that because everybody yeah, was true. banging on about Xbox 360 having all the exclusives and uh, PlayStation 3 had fucking nothing at that point. And, and I think it's just cyclical. Uh, but Xbox has mm. definitely lost their way in that. And I think, <laughs> yeah. you know, Sony has, has gained a huge market share because of their exclusives. Sure. But I'll, I'll argue that I, I genuinely believe that's part of Microsoft's strategy. I don't think they I think they understand that. Look, there's only so many AA development houses out there. There's only so much we can buy. And there's only so much that we want to put into an exclusive. Like, look at God of War and how much that cost. Does Microsoft really want to get into the game of saying, hey, we're putting up huge amounts of money on risk where Sony is willing to do that because it's worked for them in the past. And they you know, they've got a background in it that Sony is Sony Pictures is Sony Music. You know, it's it's a company sort of thriving cultural thing to go out there and invent content for people. Whereas Microsoft doesn't really have to do that. They can be more like the record label that just goes out and finds artists to do it. Um, and that's, that's my best comparison for it, but I think they're different strategies and I'm, I'm kind of warming up to the idea of having two of them forever and ever and ever, uh, because if Microsoft keeps focusing on this, then I don't have to worry about the, the sort of digital content, um, problem that we have right now, because I think they will ultimately solve it. Um, but Sony won't because Sony wants to be in a lot of ways like Nintendo where they just keep selling you things over and over again. And let's face it, nobody can pull that off but Nintendo. And man, they do it in such a gloriously lubed up fashion that you don't even mind. (laughs) Well, because they make it 20 years between selling you shit. Yeah. Except to tell you what, I bought Link's Awakening on every available virtual console. Despite already having three copies of the, or two copies of the physical game and it on every other platform, okay. I, yep. I need it. You mean I could put this on my my 3ds and my 3ds XL and my Wii and my Wii U? Done. Thing Here's is, seventy I think once, bucks. <laughs> once uh, once we get on in a few years, and you know, Microsoft managed to hopefully succeed with the plan that they're, they're clearly going with this whole platform thing that I've been banging on about for ages. Um, you know, Starfield. I mean, can I just say one thing? People are being stupid with Starfield. We've seen a fucking logo, right? And, and everyone the, is banging and on about it. It's, it's fucking right, cyberpunk. Yeah. All, yeah, it's going to be fucking cyberpunk all over again if that comes out bad. Really, really is. People are getting the hopes of far too well, and that's Well, anyway. and that's my problem, though, that I've talked about for so long is that I don't enjoy the current trend of we're going to announce this game, but it's not coming out for seven years. Like, look what's Agreed. happened with Elder Scrolls Six, which... First of all, what the fuck? It's been 10 years since our last Elder Scrolls game. Between 4 and 5 was 5 years. Yeah, 5 years. 2006 to 2011. We're at 10 and we haven't had another Elder Scrolls game. Fucking come on already. Nobody wants another Fallout 76. (laughs) Fucking make Elder Scrolls. It's what people want. But anyway, back to my point. Stop announcing games when they're still conceptual. We need physical evidence this game exists we can see what it is and then release it in a year yeah yeah Yeah, i i really enjoy the the capcom strategy like we show off a game and it's out within six months yeah yeah just don't do well well, we knew it was happening but we didn't see anything of it well yeah and Uh, there's a distinction that a3 and then came out the following january february wasn't it yeah well and there's a distinction there i think it's absolutely fine uh to eric's point 
to say, hey, we're not going to start showing stuff or talking about a game, you know, two or three years ahead of time or God help you cyberpunk seven years. Um, <laughs> I, but I think it's OK to acknowledge that you are working on it. Like, I think I it's think fine. fine. I think it's fine that, you know, the Sony Santa Monica team came out and said, hey, there's going to be a God of War. Uh, whatever the fuck number it is now six but it's really two um or it's gonna be god of war ragnarok and like here's a logo this is it and then we're not going to show you off anything else until six months ahead of the game because that that helps people understand like okay at least it's being worked on or at least it's in the pipe um but you know people are to the back, other side because they probably just constantly get what are we getting it are we getting it are we getting it yeah. is it happening yeah is it yeah. happening I work in the video games industry let me tell you are we there yet is absolutely yeah. the thing that you deal with every single day but you can go too far to the other extreme and, and go the route of Sega and the Saturn and go, hey, guys, we got a brand new console. And guess what? <laughs> it releases next week. And everybody at the retail is going, what the fuck? And like, I thought it was same day. It, yeah, was, it was. It was. Yeah, it, was. <laughs> it was. It was actually the same day. And the problem was they hadn't told any of their retail partners like, oh, by the way, we have this thing available. So same day became you know six months later because yeah. nobody like oh we need a purchase order for this and we need to like figure out where the truck is to get it here and how to get it to our stores it was yeah. awful what a fucking mess but no to the yeah. uh, i guess the overall point i'm making is don't go the apple route of saying hey here's a new game it's out next week but also don't say this is going to be out sometime in the next decade like that's just it, it's pointless and that's hey. how we get to cyberpunk issues <laughs> hey, I, I know we need to talk about games and stuff, but can we just really quickly touch on the fact that the lawsuit between Epic and Apple this week has proven that nobody at the top executive level of either Epic or Epic or Apple knows a goddamn thing about video games? Because every time you see like a line out of those, I'm like, holy shit, this is a bunch of people that does not live on planet Earth. Well, it's like the people (laughs) in the 90s talking about like the, the congressional hearings about violence in video games. Did you ever watch any of those? I was there for some of them. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Well, and like, again, I I got to sit in a room with Tipper Gore and Hillary Clinton when they made that famous speech about how video games were being made specifically to corrupt our children. That's why I took the stance that I did that I can never have any sort of government vol- involvement with video games because they do not understand it. And yeah. guys, let me let me put up a, a, a an exclamation point at the end of that sentence. Do you know how many gamers there are right now? You want to take a guess without looking it up? It's got to be close to several hundred million. Mike? Are we talking United States or worldwide? Worldwide. Oh, it's got to be two billion. Yeah, it's got to be in the billions for sure. 2.3 billion. Yeah. There are 2.3 billion gamers in the world right now. A majority of them are on mobile. Anybody listening to this? (gasps) You are bigger than any nation out there. Oh, yeah. You have more of a voice than anybody out there. Do not let anybody push you into a corner and tell you what you can and can't play. But this is the thing. The thing is, though, Zach, right? Yeah, mom. Um, I'm not, I, I agree with you. I'd rather legislation and governments and everything keep out of it. But the problem is, is when you get uh, developers and companies and publishers and things like that um, that push the boundaries, like the whole fucking loot box shit that was going on a few years ago and, you know, predatory loot box gambling and everything like that and was it belgium who blocked the uh yeah random loot box was belgium wasn't it it was belgium and like and then netherlands i think yeah and you know as the publishers and everything keep pushing and pushing pushing harder inevitably that you know they're not self-regulating and that is yeah. when these these parts start getting involved and a lot of people just turn a blind eye to it i mean I bring him up quite a lot. I'm a big fan of Jim Sterling, and he he brings up this stuff quite a bit about predatory mechanics in games and stuff like that. He, he did a fantastic episode that was basically talking to 
uh, victims of gambling who were playing video games to avoid their gambling issues and the gambling mechanics within games like sent them on a spiral again and stuff like that and sure. people don't hold these developers to account or you know and also back these things up and then governments do get involved like belgium and the netherlands well i think there's a there's a line right like what you have to say is the government's involvement should really be about regulating how money is transacted because the government's involved in that no matter what you do right mm-hmm. and certainly there should be red flags but i'm i'm of the opinion that you let the chips fall where they may um and i'm going to bring up uh and eric's not going to like me for this i'm sorry i'm going to bring up oblivion uh, for being the first game with paid DLC that was Fucking absolute horse armor. trash. Horse armor for what, like 11 bucks or something ridiculous like that. Um, and what happened hey, when they that released that? doesn't look that? so bad when you got $25 for a uh, fast travel in Zelda. Yeah, exactly, with an Amiibo. <laughs> yeah, but at least you get a toy with that. Yeah. <laughs> True. Uh, but, you know, like that is the perfect example of it was a bad move. They came out, they priced it. And almost immediately they changed their direction on it because the the gaming public was not willing to accept it. And I think, you know, there's something to be said about the gambling and the the sort of predatory aspect of it. But the the bottom line is that's not a problem that you really need to solve with game design. It's a problem that you need to solve with mental health care. Um, oh, yeah. And, and and I and I absolutely I'm going to I'm going to push that all the way through it. I'm all about every game that says, you know, flashes a message and says, hey, stop every couple hours for your mental health or keep an eye on this or this should be the focus of this and this should be the focus of that because i believe that genuinely you can't design a game around something that could happen you have to design around the game around what your intent is um and then hold true to that intent um and you know sometimes it's going to work and sometimes it's not there are a million bad games out there that started off as really good ideas uh but that's the sort of natural progression of it and that this is the other thing that really irks me i hate it when people say this game would be great if it did this that or that that are completely different than what the game does dude like games aren't made for everybody not every game is made for everybody You don't have to be on the cutting edge of every conversation when it comes to a game, because sometimes that game is just not for you. And I bring up Animal Crossing or Animal Planet or whatever the fuck it is my kids and my wife are playing right now. Outer Wilds, I I think. Animal Wilds. I like it. But like (laughs) this is a game that totally speaks to them. And they've brought it to me like 30 times. And I've just been very clear, like, this just isn't my jam. And what I don't need is 400 million people showing up telling me how it really is my jam or how I'm missing the point of it. Like, no, I just won't play it. (laughs) It's not for me. (laughs) Well, I think kind of to that point, too, we can transition a little bit into one of the games that we want to talk about, because I think that that uh, that speaks very, very uh, poignantly to what's been happening in the recent weeks with Returnal. Yeah. I mean, that game came out to some pretty uh, harsh criticisms over what is clearly the artistic vision. And I'm, I'm, I'm using that as just a broad statement, the artistic vision of the developer wanting to make the game. They wanted to make a very specific style of game for a very specific style of gamer. And yet we've entered this era of society where we feel like everything needs to appeal to everybody and it needs to cater to everybody and the internet has given us a voice where you know what if you don't like something you can be that squeaky wheel and often you can come across larger and more um, vocal than you truly are and and a movement can seem larger than it really is and I think that that's genuinely the case here with Returnal. Now Zach you and I have 
Uh, go ahead, Mike. What were you going to say? What I was going to say is I, I have a feeling I'm going to um, end up being a little bit of an outlier here. Now, granted, I've not played it, um, but I've, I've kind of made sure I've, I've kind of looked into it and, and all the stuff that's involved. But I just want to put on there that, like, I, I'm likely going to disagree with you two about the... Because I know you guys are going to talk about the sort of, like, entitlement nature, and I don't think it necessarily is that. Um, no, no, no. And know, I've, I think I've been... people are allowed to have complaints and, you know... Yes! You know, yeah, people yeah. who want to enjoy a game... You know, they enjoy the game for what it is, but unfortunately, due to the way they have designed the game, they're not physically able to enjoy the game. Now, whether that's due to time or whether, you know, a discussion I'd like to get into with Zach, we discussed it over like some messages a, a while back, um, you know, about actual accessibility and everything like that. But I'll let you carry on with what you were saying. But it's, you know, I don't think it's necessarily fully entitlement. I think there was a lot of cross wires on the Internet as well. Yeah, no, and fair enough. I've, I've been thinking about that, and I, I, I'm going to be careful to not kind of fall into that, that you're just being an entitled whatever. Um, but the core approach of Returnal, I think it's important for us to talk about that first, uh, because I want to get out of the way. I really, really, really enjoyed Returnal. Um, spoilers, I have shelved it. I don't plan on touching it anymore, and I did not beat it. However, I think it is a phenomenal game. And I don't want to detract from that at all. So I want to get that out of the way first in case you get the impression that I'm ragging on it or that I don't like it. I just have understood that it isn't what I need at the moment and it's not something that I currently enjoy playing. I've, I've hit a point well, in my life if where... If I can interject, Eric, PSA yeah. internet, it is fine to get to a point in a game and go, that's enough for me. You don't have to yes. force people to fucking finish stuff oh, that they're not, God, they're not yeah. enjoying. <laughs> but I strongly encourage starting a podcast so you can be arbitrarily angry about it. It's great. It's a ton yeah. of fun. Yeah. It's uh, good. See, see past three years with Sekiro. But um, to my point, to, to my point, I really enjoy Returnal. If you like roguelikes, roguelites, anything along those lines, if you liked Hades, 20XX, uh, Rogue Legacy, any of that, you will fucking love Returnal. It is an excellent game on every level. Execution, gameplay style, the gameplay loop, awesome. Rock hard difficulty. And there are some very, very valid criticisms about the game that I think hinder it, at least for a large majority of people. And this is where I feel like the, there is a, a bit of a fine line to straddle here because... The developer was making this game very specifically for a group of people who like a certain style of game. Yes, I understand this is a AAA title coming up for a brand new console. A lot of people are clamoring for new games for their PlayStation 5, and they're like, oh, great, new game, buy it. And they realize, I don't like roguelites. I'm going to go bitch and complain about this because this isn't what I thought it was. So Returnal itself is a... a, a uh, roguelike game where when you die you start the entire game over there is incremental progression that saves from each run but the appeal of the roguelite style games is that you do make progress that you do unlock things that you learn um, i'm going to fall back on hades because it is the most recent amazing roguelite game uh, last year won a ton of awards the big complaint and difference is that with hades you could do several runs in one sitting because the runs were short. The major criticism that I have with Returnal, and this is where I feel like a lot of people have misunderstood the intention of the game and that genre, is that these runs are long, really, 
really long and I haven't even beaten the game. I wish Dan were here because he has and he would probably attest to that they are. And Dan plays like 16 hour gaming session for Dan is a blink of an eye. He even has said that they are they're long. They take a while to get through. So, it, Zach, I don't know if you want to add anything here before I go and, and kind of explain the, the layout of the game. Well, I, I mean, Zach, you, sorry, to, I know you were about to speak as well. Before you kind of jump too much into that, I do want to know your thoughts on the game as well, because I know you're loving it. So, you know, your general <laughs> thoughts on the game as a whole, as well as kind of touching into that that Eric's asked you. I'd, I'd like to hear that. Yeah, no, um, I, I think the only thing that I'd add in um, is it's it's a roguelite, right? So um, the whole game and, and the whole premise of roguelikes is setting yourself up for success. Um, and normally what that means in a roguelite is you spend like a, a fraction of the time before you even go into the next encounter or the next level, sort of farming up, leveling up skills, leveling up weapons so that you're prepared for the next rung of challenge. Um, where I absolutely agree that um, I think Returnal fails is that that process is too long for every run. Um, it's extremely but that said, long. yeah, it's really long. I mean, like uh, for me to do, I'm I'm halfway through it. Um, and Biome Three, I think there's six. Um, and, and for me to get ready to go after I die back into Biome Three, it means that I have to run all the way back through Biome One or parts of Biome One, Biome Two. Uh, and then I start biome three and it's a procedurally generated game. So it's not like I'm, I'm winning anything by dying and like, Oh, now I know more about the level. Like, no, they're completely different every run. Um, but that means that I spend probably the first 30 minutes before I ever go into biome three running around level one and two, leveling up all my guns, getting all my health upgraded, um, getting all of the artifacts that sort of add extra abilities that allow me to do more damage or take more healing or just but have more life to that um, point though for the difficulty yeah. really quick is that be, just because you're on biome three doesn't mean that biome one becomes easier it's no, still just as no. difficult as when you first booted up the game for the first time and it's relatively arbitrary because the second you enter the new the next new biome you have this stuff called weapon proficiency and essentially that increases the uh, increases your skill with the weapons and it increases the um, uh, level of the weapons that will appear for you down the road. So technically, it's kind of arbitrary to run through the first two biomes if you're on biome three, because as soon as you enter biome three, there is a proficient proficiency chip sitting there waiting for you that instantly skyrockets you to proficiency nine or whatever it is relevant uh, for that particular biome. So it sort of encourages you to just blitz through and teleport yourself to biome three, which if you're not aware from biome one, there is a direct teleportation to three. Sure. Sure. You don't have to run all the way through two. I've seen it. Never used it because <laughs> yeah, I don't need to. Right. Cause well, I'm trying to level up can, stuff. You can see those is that on the map, there's a, uh, uh, the doorways that have the circles above them, those are your teleportation areas. One goes to two, one goes to three. But the problem is that the, the the other criticism that I was a little bit skeptical of when I first read it was the unfairness, uh, the risk versus reward. Roguelites are very, very big on risk versus reward. This particular item gives me X bonus at, at, at defect to whatever. Oh, the malignancy, um, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, Returnal has these things called malfunctions where you get a perk, 
but you also get a status effect. It could be that every time you take damage or any every time that uh, you hit an enemy, they automatically counter. Or when you kill an enemy, they leave a pool of acid. Or every time you open a door, you take damage. Or use a key, take... There's a whole bunch of them. And some of them are pretty innocuous, but some of them are like, oh, well, I'm fucked now. And the only way to get rid of these malfunctions is to use a fabrication device, which costs orbs, which aren't particularly in abundance um or they give you different or uh, sometimes they are (laughs) just depends on the randomness of the map (laughs) or or you have to complete a certain criteria like kill two enemies at one time which is very very difficult to do to kill them at the exact same time or just kill 10 enemies or use two resin or two artifacts and you can get rid of them but the risk versus reward at the early stage of this of this game is it's often caused me to stop and go hmm is that worth it? No, I, I totally get it. Um, and it, it does have a higher risk reward, but the, also the randomness of it is the the kicker for me. The, the one flaw in the design system for me is that you can absolutely have a run that starts off and within the first two or three screens of that run, I can be at twice the level of health. I can be at, you know, uh, weapon proficiency like six and have an amazing gun and if I die by some stupid mistake or just my my own dumbness going through it the next run I can literally have to work through that whole first biome to get yep. to the same place and that's my yep. only challenge with it um, so while I don't feel like a save state system is necessarily the right thing because I think that it'd be abused I think there are some ways to address that and sort of say hey after you finish a biome um, maybe you do like a loadout that says, hey, this is my biome one loadout. And it's not really powerful enough to get you through part two, but it's enough for you to say, hey, I'm going to take this loadout um, and then skip to two and level up and do it that way. I, I don't well, know what the answer is, uh, because without the, breaking the roguelike nature of the game, I, I don't know what the answer is. But I think I mean, there is there is some design challenge there. I mean, I, I have two questions for you, Zach. The, the second one's sure. going to sound like I'm being a dick, but like I, I, you know, it is a genuine question. So the first one is, yeah. um, would you, because a lot of the suggestions online, because I think, because you posted that thing into the Facebook community, which uh, <laughs> went off the rails. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, yeah, you, sorry. You, I, didn't, I didn't know I was going to start some up, shit that day. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you know, you, you, you brought it up and, and you know, and it, it was a fair conversation to have. And you, you were talking about how... Um, you know, the conversation comes up with uh, Artist Vision, Souls games, and, and difficulty and everything like that. Now, I think uh, some of the internet has misconstrued what people are wanting in terms of Returnal. Because some people, you know, I think a lot of people hearkened on that people were just saying it was too hard. And I think that actually, and that article didn't help as well. Yeah. Uh, was, it, was it Kotaku? I mean, they're fucking... They're <laughs> oh, it's garbage. Trash these days anyway, yeah. yeah. Uh, but garbage, then, garbage, garbage site. I'm sorry. I, I, I really hate Kotaku. It's I not a news site. It's an, it's an opinion site. Like, when you have an article that starts with, this is how many people said things on Twitter. Who fucking cares? Because it's not news! It's just what people said on Twitter! <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people have suggested something like a, a save that you can only use once which is very similar to Souls, would something like that be appealing to you or be fine? Because obviously I've not played the game, so it's a genuine question, would that be okay? so, Now I've got a follow-up with it as well. But. So what I would suggest, that the only thing that's really missing from a functional state for me is an actual, like, hey, I want to quit out of the game and save, uh, because it does not have that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that should be a functional like. And again, it's just a save state. It just takes your exact position, your exact stats and says, I want to save out of this and come back to it later. It does lack that. And I think you could add that and it would be fine. There's no title um, screen either. No, there's no title screen. There's only a menu and the menu has like three options and it's like change your sound, change your visual HDR settings and like and restart cycle. Game. Yeah, it <laughs> needs a quit out and save. Um, and it does need that. Um, but I, the game itself, as you go through, you understand that there are multiple mechanics to get multiple lives. Um, there's like an astronaut figure. There's a big machine that you can get later. There are certain, um, artifacts that you can unlock to give you a second chance. So if you start understanding that the core design elements support the idea of having more than one life, but you really have to dig at them to get at them and decide, is it worth the risk of going after those? Well, or is it is it a bigger risk to just go for it and see if I can skill out the boss or this next room? I, I don't I don't know what the mix is there, but I think that that's a possible those solution. Items, to it though, Zach, are wildly rare, like unbelievably rare. I haven't seen an astronaut figure since my first run. Well, but you can hours. buy them. But you I've can never, buy them. At- I have never seen one in the fabricators. Oh really? Oh, see, I see them all the time in the room. That's got the it's got the central fabricator and then like the five stations. I always get one in there. Not once. Um, And then I found random ones, which is really weird because I didn't know it was like a pickup item. Uh, Full disclosure: I had no idea what the fucking astronaut statue did uh, when I first got it. So I went all the way through biome one and never used it because my my uh, habit was I would get to the boss, understand like I'm not going to fucking beat this, and just hit restart cycle. So I never let myself die. Um, and like I, it was just in a random room where it went off and I was like, why the fuck am I still alive? And I recognized oh, yeah. like, oh shit, I got an achievement for an Astro. Oh, I really have made this game much harder on myself. Well, <laughs> the, and the machine. game does not explain shit, by the way. No, the game explains nothing. It doesn't explain like what the icons are on the map. It doesn't explain how to level up your health system. It doesn't explain that artifacts stack in a way that is um, mechanical in design and that you should be looking for certain things. It sure as hell doesn't explain weapon proficiency and how you shouldn't ever open a chest in this game until your weapon proficiency is at least six because the weapons scale with your proficiency. So if you wait till you're level four or five, the weapons start being a higher level and it doesn't explain any of this and you have to figure it out on your own. Um, so like you shouldn't be killing boss monsters or picking up anything until you've at least leveled up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I mean that's kind I, of the roguelike I, thing anyway. I, have you ever played? Bind- have you actually ever played? Bind- you've played Bunny, yeah. Like, haven't you? Like yeah. you pick up items, you got fucking clue what they do. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean it's it's definitely um, a part of the design. But I agree with Eric. Like it is random in nature. So well, I think we haven't the only even one- talked about the parasites either. Yeah, the only one that you can count on as far as a revive is the machine because that does appear in every map. But you even just have still, to find it. that that itself requires six ether and on average you're going to get maybe one ether per run uh but see you got to clear the map if you clear the map you're going to get six for every biome for every run really yeah so again it's just these are things that the game doesn't tell you and you really have to figure out and again it's a risk reward mechanic so So, i wanted to go back to the, the the topic that that you had brought up about save states and i think I'm anti that for this game. I think that that would ruin the nature of this game. What I think that it needs is... So when you start a new run, you start at at your crashed crashed ship, the Helios, in a safe area. And that's what kicks you... the, The next door you go out takes you into the first biome. What I think would be far more beneficial is if you beat a biome, 
something unlocks within that first crashed area. It could be a door. It could be a teleportation device that takes you to biome two, biome three. Yes, there are ways to teleport to that, but you have to go through. You could go into biome one and then it could be the very first door you come across or it could be at the absolute ass end of the the first biome to just get to number three to get to yeah. two you have to go through it anyway and then you or have to walk be, all, all the way or, through that so or it can be the door right outside your ship right so again yeah. you're back to the randomness you're right they, they probably do need to address that or it, in an interesting story twist it would be interesting if your ship crashed into that next biome and like it was yeah. an actual story progression of elements because it, it and, seems and arbitrary that they that they make you go through one or two because as soon as you get to three like i said before they just give you the proficiency that you need to be there anyway so why not just start me there yeah but, the only the, the catch-all to that is you don't have the health and your health pool is really small to start if you don't go grind health in the first biome like your odds of succeeding in two and three are very low three is un just unrelentingly difficult <laughs> And it has the worst enemies that I've come across in the game. I really, again, it sounds like I'm ragging on it, but I really enjoy the enemy variety in this. Fucking awesome enemies. Like in Biome 2, the gigantic sky squids. Yeah. Awesome. You see I mean, that It thing? looks amazing, Fucking too. Fucking run. Yeah. Because you will die. But Mike, I think you had a second question. I'm sorry. <laughs> I cut you off in the middle of that. <laughs> it's all right. No, actually, I'll, I'll get to it in a bit. Um, that's fine. Um, but Eric, um, forgive me if I've misunderstood, but you're saying about the save state thing. Are, are you just talking about, um, you know, because you said about being able to teleport or get doors to go elsewhere, whereas the whole save state conversation really is, is more to what Zach said earlier about being able to quit out. Because if you're, you know, if you're getting too long or you can't play or for whatever reason being able to quit out and kind of go back in that's very different to being able to start from the beginning and quickly walk to the third area yeah i i don't think that it needs an instantaneous save state location like the souls games have where if you quit out you're going to teleport you're going to reload right back to where you were i feel like if you're in biome three four five or six you should be able to start the game and just quickly get back to right there that doesn't address the fact that Zach brought up earlier about, you know, your your lack of health pool, but that could be addressed by, you know, you're going to give me some weapon proficiency. Yeah, give me a health give, pool too. <laughs> give me a couple uh, little items towards my max integrity. I think there's better ways around it than breaking the nature of what a roguelike game truly is. But my main criticism is the longevity of those runs because... If you do legitimately try to go through it, like Zach is saying, grind out health in level one, because you, you have a certain amount of health, and then you can get these items. You need three items to increase your max integrity one little bit, and then that resets, and then you can keep finding those. And there's only so many in each biome. So if you really want to max out, you need to go all the way through biome one, all the way through biome two, which are going to be just as difficult as the first time you ever walked into them. So it's you just understand the enemies and their... their uh, mechanics a little bit better you may understand the layout and how to navigate through it faster but you're still going through them again and before i got to three just to get to the end of biome two solid two hour run if i cleared the map solid yeah. two hour who i mean yep. if, you, if if each biome is an hour run through who has six hours to sit down for one run dan <laughs> dan <laughs> just dan just dan <laughs> No, but I, I think that's a valid point. But I, again, I don't want to here. Here's my, my challenge with it. And here's where I get into the artistic division whinginess of it is that it is a roguelike and it was designed by people 
who brought you Rezo gun. Correct. Like and this, and this is my challenge with maybe it's how it was even marketed. I don't know why this is being touted as a triple A. Like everybody should play this game. No. It was made by the people that made Rezo gun. And $70 maybe the price tag didn't help. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. This should not be a $70 game. Um, did you hear and, go, off topic a sec? Did you hear about um, Housemark found out at the same time as uh, customers that uh, it was going to be seventy dollars? They didn't even yeah, know. Yeah, Jesus. yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, and that's probably part of all of this, right? I think if they had been allowed to do the same thing with pricing that they had done with Resogun, um, it would probably have been way more received, and honestly, it probably would sell a lot more. Um, but I, you know, I am encouraged by the fact that they're looking, they're listening. They've already, and since you quit, Eric, they've already added a patch that sort of adds a multiplayer aspect to it. Um, it's kind of like Dark Souls in that you can see like people on your friends list die, and then you can go over to their corpse and then choose to either avenge them um, and get really big rewards, which is definitely a way to uh, to like. Um, hop over certain requirements it's it's definitely leapfrogging um in terms of the weapon types you get but to avenge them it spawns like a mini boss monster which is ridiculously hard um or you can just um scavenge off their body and it costs you a little bit to do it costs you a couple ether to do it but you get a pretty good item for doing it so it's got a sort of asynchronous multiplayer added to I don't- it I guess it's it was more of a symbolic gesture for me because I was really fucking fed up with it at the time oh, I get and it I get it I think at some point I may revisit this game, but I do want to be very clear that I don't think that this is a game for everybody. And I think that this this game came out at the wrong time in the console's lifespan. I know that, like I said earlier, everybody's clamoring for new games. I'm a victim of this. I've done it every time a new generation of consoles has come out. When a, a triple A or a big title game comes out, I have to buy it just because I want new games for my new console i'm talking like genji blade of whatever the fuck for playstation 3 that was a goddamn mess um knack lair knack lair <laughs> oh, jesus <laughs> i've blocked all these things out but i'm a victim of that so i understand it and i get it however i think that it's a little bit of uh, it, the, the onus is on the player to understand what they are buying yeah. And understand the intention behind it instead of buying it and saying this isn't what i thought it was going to be okay well that's on you. Yeah. And I, I, you know, ultimately, like I think Housemark can do whatever the fuck they want with their game. If I'm being real honest, if you want to make it ridiculously hard and make it a cliff wall and try and sell it for $70, that's your prerogative to do it. Yeah. Um, but I think that there are some design tweaks that could make it just as challenging, but keep it more accessible. Um, so, you know, and I think they'll probably address it. They talked about that on their Twitter page. They said like, Hey, we're thinking about the feedback, but we don't know exactly how to do it, but we'll, we'll present. I think it's a dangerous line because I think the second you you start getting, you you start having developers bend to the will of the masses and suddenly it's not their game anymore. I mean, yes and no, Eric, it is. I, I think it's perfectly fine for you to have complaints about a product and, potentially suggest better things for it and they, you know this this goes outside the scope of video games but you know it's not it's not okay you won't go to a restaurant and you know i know this isn't exactly apples to apples but you know you wouldn't go to a restaurant and order something and they just slop it on you and go there you go have it as it is you know if there's something something you weren't happy about with it or something you think could be better you would say that to them unless yeah. you're english and you just eat it and don't say anything um, <laughs> you know i i think saying you know them putting out a game and you know they, they haven't necessarily had a test audience i think it's perfectly acceptable for and to do it nicely and in a actual uh, critical way, not just to go, 
this is shit. I hate this. You know, it's a case of, you know, I I think a developer listening to feedback and going on feedback is inherently a good thing. And, you know, we rag on games having to be patched all the time, not all the time on this on this show, but we've mentioned about how, you know, patching and fixing games afterwards isn't, isn't a great thing because, obviously, for the preservation of games as well, it doesn't help. But, you know, patching isn't necessarily always an evil thing. If, if developers can go in and improve the game, improve... Um, the user experience and everything like that based on the feedback that they're getting I don't think that's inherently always a bad thing no I don't think it's a bad thing either but I think it's also it's a slippery slope it's a very slippery slope but it also if the people who are making the feed or providing the feedback are expecting the developer to listen then the, the they also need to understand that you know what it's going to be okay if the developer looks at me and goes no thanks and I have to be okay with yeah. that instead of just screaming louder yeah, I mean, ultimately, this is, and and I'm I'm an old school guy, so I understand this concept. Not everybody who's been playing video games for more than twenty years doesn't. This is a bullet hell game. Yes. Um, oh yeah. And we have to talk about that in relationship to Returnal because this is the same style of game as Ikaruga. This yep. is the same style of game as all the hardest shmups of all time. This and is not an adventure game. No, it's not. Um, and I think that it's. If, if they came out tomorrow and said, hey, we're going to make some tweaks um, to make it a little more accessible or make the ease of runs better, I'll be OK with it. If they come out tomorrow and give you a single finger salute and say, we're not going to do a goddamn thing, I'm still going to be OK with Me it. Me too, because I appreciate it and understand, you know what, this is yeah. what they wanted to make. And I knew and, what was this was. And, and my final comment on Returnal is I love it to death, yeah. um, but it's not a game that I feel the need to sit there and beat. It's a game like Symphony of the Night. It's a game like Bloodborne that I pick up and play for 20 minutes at a time. And I go like, oh, that was really fun. And then I go back and do something else. Yep. So I don't have a need to fundamentally beat it because it's so good just playing it. Dude, it's it is mirror polished. It looks gorgeous. If you're playing it's, on an HDR display, you're going to see some shit that you have never seen before. If you're playing on an OLED, I mean, the game is black. There's a lot of blacks. Yeah. And I tell you, yeah. what, playing on an OLED where those black pixels are just flat off. Yeah, it's, it's and, unbelievable. And then, you have the, and then you have the over brightness of the bullet in the bullet hell game. It's incredible. Yep. And some of the monsters are just I mean, they're terrifying. It genuinely creeps me out at times. But I don't have a need to sit here and just say, like, oh, my goal is to beat this. Like, I just want to play it. It's that much yeah. fun to play. And that's perfectly fine as well. You know, yep. yeah. yeah. Like I said earlier, you don't have to finish everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to get through that. And I wish I would have understood that when I was playing Spirit Tracks. <laughs> you know you said that you kind of had your final thoughts on Returnal there like I, I kind of want to pivot the conversation a little bit and you know Please. Zach me and you uh, you know we, we chatted about this um, ourselves as well um, this whole Returnal being too hard or whatever kind of brought up the conversation of accessibility in games again and you know I know that people bring up the Souls games and everything like that and this conversation obviously come again with Returnal and I know that you're very much a kind of the Souls games are... I don't want to sound like I'm attacking you, Zach, by the way. Just no, 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 please. Like, yeah. No, I know you won't Attack take that. Him, I don't want the listeners to think that, yeah. But I know you... you know, you very much. eyes. <laughs> no, you were very much of the thing of, look, it's Dark Souls. It's not for you. Fuck off. Not necessarily like that. You know what I mean. I'm putting words in your mouth. Um, you know, I, I, you know, you said you wanted to kind of maybe have a conversation about that on this show. Um, you know, going from the Returnal side of things to kind of Souls and everything like that, you know, where do you sort of come from with... with 
that's kind of thing. Is it the same thing as, as you are with Returnal, or it's like, oh, it's not for you, or... Yeah, I, I ultimately, like, look, if you are not enjoying a game and you are playing it because everybody else does or everybody else told you that you have to, you're playing the game for the wrong reason. You should be playing games because they are fun. You should be playing games because you enjoy them, and you should be playing games because that particular game speaks to you in a way that makes you want to keep playing it. The the internet culture of things, and especially now that Twitch is a thing and that the video streaming piece is so large, is that we have this culture that's pushing, you know, the messages, you gotta play this dog, it's great, yo. You know, like, it's this whole marketing <laughs> subculture of people that genuinely think it's a good idea to push idiotic concepts like there are perfect games and that there are imperfect games um which can be true but like the idea that you should tell me what a good game is for me is ridiculous the idea that you should tell me that one console is better is ridiculous not everything is made for everybody well if i can interject on that just for a second um that's a great point and i think that it's it's very important for the person that's taking that recommendation to not just take it blindly and we recommend a ton of games on this show all of us we recommend a ton but we've been doing this for 10 years and our listeners who have been with us for a long time understand that you know what my my interests may align with this person's i'm going to take eric's recommendation or i really like the types of games that dan plays and he's never steered me wrong on things so i feel like we have similar interests and it's it's taking that into account instead of just saying oh my god i'm hearing everybody on twitter talk about returnal i need to play returnal i'm gonna play it and it's like you're not understanding the source and how that aligns with your own personal interests i mean i don't know if you remember my rant when death stranding came out um, I was talking, you know, everyone was upset that it basically obviously wasn't fucking Metal Gear. And I said at the time, you know, <laughs> find yourself a reviewer or someone, a, yep. a personality, a reviewer or on a podcast or whatever, who whose gaming tastes, like exactly what Eric said, align with yours yeah. and listen to their review of it. Because, you know, I do it sometimes. I'll look at a review on IGN and I'll go, oh, it's by such and such. Yeah, I like the games he likes. Oh, definitely, you know, I, I, I won't just take this with a pinch of salt because mine and his tastes do align or mine and her tastes align. And... I think that is what you need to do. And I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, look at the, the, the four of us on the retro show when we play games. Retro. Um, It's my first retro. We, we, you know, our, our tastes are different. You know, there's games that each of us love and some of us don't. And, you know, that's just the way it is. But we kind of gone off topic from where I was at. And the main reason I was bringing this up, Zach, is because, you know, you've, you've said yourself before about, I said to you uh, during that discussion about Returnal online before it all went to hell. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I ended up saying that, you know, Dark Souls does have an accessibility problem and you kind of said it didn't. And I think sometimes the accessibility, and again, this isn't me attacking you just for the listeners. Zach, sure. Zach understands where I'm coming from. Um, you know, I think sometimes like the Souls community are so kind of, protective of their difficulty and you know it being a hard game and everything like that that sometimes i think they lose sight of how and it's not just the souls many many games have accessibility problems but in terms of you know for people who uh struggle to play games due to you know mental or physical ailments or anything like that and that's where a lot of the background comes with souls game where people want more accessibility with them and i think a lot of the time with the souls games people are very protective of difficulty and just don't want to hear trying to implement things to make it easier for those people to play not necessarily just for anyone to have an easier time yeah i think that's a fair assessment um but i'm 
also gonna so i'm gonna play both sides of the fence here i'm gonna say anytime oh, I do it all the any, time on the show don't worry <laughs> anybody anytime anybody comes to you and says like look i really want to play your game but this presents this challenge to me especially god help me if it's a physical challenge if you are blind if you have if you're hard of hearing if you have you know, you're differently abled in terms of your hands and your fingers everybody should be open to that discussion uh and everybody should be open to the fact that there are solutions for those. I mean, fuck, there was a dude that beat Dark Souls with a Guitar Hero controller without getting hit. Like, well, one obviously. of my favorite streamers plays Call of Duty Warzone, and he is paralyzed from the neck down. Yeah. And the but dude that, fucking slays. But that is an open conversation that we should all be willing to have all the time. And we should listen more than we talk. Mm-hmm. Uh but my other side of the fence tells me that the Dark Souls community is very protective of Dark Souls. And I'm going to be real honest here because most games are built to be beaten. And Dark Souls is one of the few franchises that is not. Um, it is built to challenge you every bit along the way and tell people who don't like that challenge, go away. Yeah. This is not for you. <laughs> exactly. And, and it's like, fair. We've and talked about not, this so much. There's not that many of them left. Um, because I mean, and, and we're going to talk about another game today, which I feel has gone the other way, which is it's a game built to be beaten and that's fine. There should be both, but there is always a harsh criticism of really super challenging games saying, well, we should make this more accessible by giving it an easy mode. And I don't agree with that. I don't agree with it at all. That game is just not built for you. And I'm sorry that you want to see it through. And I'm sorry you want to have the conversation with your friends and be in the same circle about it. But you have to learn at some point that not everything is for everybody. And then diversity and changing maybe even the group of people you're talking to, if you're not in that same conversation, is probably not a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, just my two cents. Yeah. (laughs) I sit on the fence on this fucking show all the time. Don't worry about it. Um, But the... There's a guy. I'm sound like I'm pimping up fucking other shows and other podcasts and the people today. The amount of people yeah. I've mentioned, but you know, I, there was a there's a guy called the Blind Gamer, uh, Steve mm-hmm. Steve Saylor. Yeah, you're familiar with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he's a massive accessibility advocate and everything like that. And he, he, his job now basically works as an advisor on accessibility for games. He had a lot to do with the whole Last of Us Two stuff, I believe. Um, he said something on a recent uh, podcast I was listening to um, because they was talking. They brought him in to talk about Returnal's accessibility, and something that re- like a few things he said really fucking resonated me with resonated with me. And I mean, I'm, I'm all for accessibility anyway. And um, I'm paraphrasing here, but he was he was talking about Souls games, and he was talking about um, you know accessibility and difficulty and everything like that. And you know, he basically said, "Look, we don't want an easy mode. What we want is we want to be able to face that same challenge that you have." Um, but imagine you know your game. You know there's a game you love. You can play it back to front, side to side, whatever. Imagine if I put a blindfold on you, or this is what he said. Imagine if I put a blindfold on you, or put earmuffs on you, or tied both hands behind your back. Mm-hmm. You need you need to develop stuff into your game that basically means that I can get past these physical or mental impairments to be able to then have the same challenge, not make it easier, but have the same challenge that you as an able-bodied player has. And it really, really resonated me. And he was talking about how, you know, a lot of the discussion around like souls and everything like that just goes to that, we want an easy mode. And his exact words were, you know, that'd be like putting a crowbar into the design of the game. And, you know, he doesn't just want an easy mode. It's assists to basically put him on the same level. And he was talking about, it's interesting actually, because you were talking about how Returnal doesn't teach you anything. And his, you know, again, I'm paraphrasing, but he was talking about how 
Video games have a language. When you start playing a game, there is a language you learn. This moves like this. This does this. You attack like this. You The enemies behave like this. And he, he was talking about how you know video games have a language. And Demon Souls, you have to learn that language. And it's yeah. the same with what you were saying with Eternal. You know, you have to learn that language. And people like him or people with physical impairments and, and mental impairments, everything like that, they have an extra barrier to learn that language. And, you know what is the issue with something like Dark Souls, which is known for its challenge, known for its difficulty, known known to be enjoyed in that kind of way, what is the issue with kind of putting some kind of an assist in there for those people to be able to enjoy it? You know, I, I, I don't have a problem with it, but I think it would have to make sense. Um, and, and I'm going to use my example of this. Um, I'm not sure if it was he or not, but I know that there is a, a really good story, and I love this story to death, about a guy who beat, he's totally blind. He beat the legend of Zelda, um, by feel. He literally walked around that entire game, slashed his swords and understood the map based on where he got feedback. Um, (laughs) and you think about that and I, that gets me a little emotional because it proves how dedicated some people are to the idea that they should be able to play games and how much we should put into accessibility. I think that that's fine. But should that game be built around that idea? I don't know. And I'm going to use a personal example. I'm colorblind. I've talked about this a little bit on the site before. I'm red, green imperative. I do not see red at all. I didn't know that about you, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I've talked about it on the site a little bit, but I'm 100% colorblind. Um, I don't see red in the same way that you do. And my green's all fucked up. And if you put the two together, I swear to God, they're the same color. Um, There's plenty of pieces of art on the face of the earth that are all done in reds that I can't see. So does me being not able to see it mean that that piece of art should not exist or should exist in a different form? No. Um, But are there ways to cope with that to help people like me see that? Sure. Uh, I just don't know if that piece of art should have considered me when it was being created. So that's yeah, and that's, I think that, that's that's my most non-committal answer I can give. <laughs> I think it's a really it's it's a difficult topic, but you know, Mike, you're right. It's it's one that does need to be addressed. However, I think there also needs to be that acknowledgement that in some instances there just may not be a solution. For for colorblindness, for example, I think it's phenomenal that most games nowadays have a colorblind mode that would not have existed in the early 2000s at all. People just wouldn't have thought of that. And sometimes just for fun, I'll go in there and fuck around with it and turn it on and be like, oh my God, this looks like ass. But knowing (laughs) that that changing the color palette, which is probably a ton of work on the back end. So I I don't want to downplay this with the statement, but that simple change, making it accessible for a ton more people awesome however you're right to a point if you are a quadriplegic or you have no arms and no legs i mean and and can only move your tongue like how do we address that in a meaningful way without going so far to the extreme that that saying this needs to be designed around this very 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 small subsection and and again not downplaying their importance, but where is that line? I mean, yeah. I'm glad you said the word mode because I have one word, a one word answer to that, and that's mm. options. Like, sure, yeah, give yeah. people the options. You know, yeah. that you can build your game with an artistic vision of a certain way, but it's it's just, I think, you know, I'm generally an able-bodied person. I I do have issues with like some parts of me, but you know, in terms of video games, I, you know, I'm generally able-bodied. I have nothing that impairs me being able to play video games. Um, 
but you know and i'm not trying to speak for that entire community i can only go off like the knowledge that i i know and and you know the bits of research i've done and, and people like steve sailor and people like is it steven spawn of able gamers as well like people that are proper advocates for it and you know their their whole thing is like i'm not asking you to change your games i'm just asking you to give me the options that are there and this is going to lead me to my dick question <laughs> not a question yeah, about dicks yeah. but me, yeah, me, yeah, me sounding yeah. like a bit of a dick going to that whole thing of like not wanting to change your artistic vision of the game or anything like that and that's putting the artistic vision joke aside you know on a serious note people use sure. that as, as an excuse if you put if they developers put in the options for someone to be able to play that game in the same way that you do but with just that extra help to be able to um be able to play it because of their physical or mental impairments this is the bit that's going to make me sound like a dick what difference does that make to you um as long as it doesn't compromise the artistic vision, none, hmm. none whatsoever. I'm back to my painting example again. I there there are plenty of paintings that are done in red hues that I can't see, and those have every right to exist outside of me because the painting wasn't intended for me or for colorblinded people. It was it was intended for people who are um, right of sight, for lack of a better term, right. Um, but if there is an option for me to view that in some other color spectrum or in some other way or just you know, like a text description, whatever it happens to be like, I have no problem with that. But do I want that painter taking me into account when they're doing their amazing hues of red and 15 different shades of it? No, I don't. Hmm. Um, I just I don't want to see art take the same route that everything else takes a route with, which is, hey, let's make sure that this touches as many people as possible. And I'm going to say it like this. That's not because I have a problem with accessibility. It's because it's mm -hmm. a corporate shitbag way of looking at everything. Um, you know, like, and this is where the argument gets lost is because when you get to the publisher level and the people that are putting out money for games, um, they're going to look at it and say, okay, that's great. You want to spend a million dollars on accessibility options for players. Am I going to get my million dollars in return on investment? And it all falls apart because nobody knows what the market share is or what it could do when it comes to doing a new thing. And I hate that entire mentality. I, you know, if it were to me, every game would be an indie game and there would be no corporate decision making, no focus groups no you know board of directors having oversight into you know what you do in your game or the release schedule of it um so i really i don't like that side of it but i know also that that's where a, a majority of the problems stem from i hope that makes sense i'm sorry that was yeah, no 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 it makes sense. <laughs> you know, it's been an interesting discussion i'm enjoying this to be honest i'd, I'd love yeah. your painting analogy by the way yeah I mean, and it's different, like, and, and again, I, I, interestingly enough, like I don't use colorblind options in games. I went to art school. I spent years and years studying, studying color charts. So while I know, can't see Magento the same way you do, I know what it looks like and I can pick it out of a color wheel. Um, so I tend to play games that way because that is my reality. It's not like me playing in colorblind mode is going to be um, an accurate reflection of what you see anyway. So I might as well just play it in, in the, the way that I see. Mm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I'm glad those options are there for people. My friend David is uh, like 99% blind. He has, um, uh, I, I won't go into it. It's his medical history, but he's very blind and he's also colorblind. Um, and for him to use a monitor at work, he really must turn the contrast to like a 10,000% and everything has to be two certain colors or he can't see it. So I think about that and I say like, God, yes, he should be able to have options in games for him. Uh, but do I think the game should be built around him? No, not necessarily. I, and I think where options exist, I think they should be implemented though. Now, and Mike, I want to address your point too, because you, I, I like that 
that that recent mentality of like how does this affect you does this matter to you and i I feel like that's a great um, question to ask a lot of people because we do have a lot of those blind beliefs that we look at and say well this goes against what i believe and at the end of the day it doesn't fucking matter i mean is it affecting me negatively in any way shape or form no is it affecting somebody else positively? Yes. If it affects me negatively, like physically, emotionally, whatever, negatively, then yeah, I, I'm okay to have an issue with that. But no, you're right. If it's not hindering my personal enjoyment of something, then I don't fucking care. Put a billion options in there. I think it's great. Yeah. The more people we have playing games, the better. Fuck, man. Is and it, where is where is the VR experience for blind people and deaf people? Where is right. the surround sound game that's built specifically to use the Pulse headset that addresses the fact that blind people would do very well with 3D audio? Oh, you yeah. know, like and, and a sole dedicated game to it. And those ideas, I'm sure, are out there, but they get shut down by the, some publisher that says like, oh, well, there's not a 400 percent return on investment. So I don't care. Yeah. And that that I mean, really it, bugs the shit out of me. <laughs> I think it was Xbox. I think it was uh, Microsoft and Xbox who, who had that slogan for a little by a little while. I think it was when they released the adaptive controller. It was uh, is it uh, when everybody plays, we all win or something. Yeah, like that. Yep. I agree. That that is a wonderful device. I you guys know what I do for a living. I routinely um, send people over the fence to the Xbox uh, adaptive controller because we have a lot of people that reach out to us and just say, "Hey, do you have something that I can use?" And we have different rules because all our controllers are like tournament focused. But I have absolutely no problem suggesting that and saying, "Like, this is a really good option for your condition." Yeah, yeah. That I'm glad we've been able to have this conversation on the show. And, awesome. and you know, I'm I'm not here trying to change anybody's mind. But what, no. what I'd love to say yeah, to no. people is is. Um, uh, can you know, I also address what, the fact that you and I have lots of spirited debates on Facebook all the time? And I think you and I both get messages like, do you hate Mike? Do you hate Zach? And like in zero ways, like I promise you, I walk away from every conversation like oh, he can think what he wants. And he probably does the yeah. same for me. So like yeah, we've exactly never had a steal. We, we toyed with the idea of like doing that as like a kayfabe for a while. <laughs> <laughs> the steel cage death match of Zach yeah, and Mike no, and Mike's when you see me in Zach debating it's all as it's all as good natured as it is here and when, yeah. the few times when I've said here I'm not attacking you Zach it's it's more for the listeners not for him because he, he understands that I'm not attacking him but you know I'm not here trying to change anyone's mind but like I'm glad we have this conversation on here because it's been very interesting but what I would say to listeners and, and you know those that you know go you know use the artistic vision in the non-joking way and you know say oh we shouldn't have easy modes and that like look into this stuff it's very very interesting stuff like you yeah. know there is able gamers and there's steve sailor and everything like that it's really really interesting stuff it, like just kind of put your mind to it a little bit yeah and my answer to everything is more games not less games or less features in games so mm-hmm. you know 2.3 billion can become 4 billion really quick yep yeah <laughs> it's true just need a bigger market <laughs> so not to uh, transition too abruptly here, I want to get your guys' take on another recent game that came out because uh, I had to sort of force myself not to buy it uh, because I need to get through the previous game. But I want to hear a little mm. bit about Resi 8. I will let Zach start because I, I kind of gave some brief thoughts the other day, but I'll let you start. Yeah, uh, so I'm going to do this in a way that describes as little as I can in the game because resident evil eight is to or village. Sorry. I, the village, however the hell you say it is really meant for, um, it's meant to be experienced. It's a great story. So I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. Um, agreed. I really liked it. I think it's phenomenal looking and I think it plays pretty well. Um, if you enjoyed resident evil seven, 
you will enjoy this. Um, that said, I it's not going to be on my game of the year list um, because I feel like it's a game that was meant just to be beaten. And I did go back and I, I played the game initially on, I think it was like hard difficulty. And then I read an article actually that said like, nah, if you're really good at Resident Evil, you should be playing on a harder. So I tried that. And my problem with it is it's just a little too move you from scene to scene for me. But overall, I like I cannot argue. I think the story is really good. I think the graphics are just flipping phenomenal and actually better on PlayStation 5 than on PC currently. Um, oh, the PC and, version is a bit of a shit show at the minute, isn't it? Oh, uh, God. Yeah. Just <laughs> I, I have I have another topic on that, but that's for another day. If, like Stick to Minesweeper. PC games shitting the bed or PC ports shitting the bed or whole Microsoft stores with Game Pass shitting the bed. On PC. Just stick to Minesweeper. Yeah. But I really liked it. I mean, I, I think it's phenomenal. I think it's a really good experience. Yeah, I agree. Um, I played it on Series X, and yeah, absolutely phenomenal. And sidebar, like, what the fuck was that spreadsheet they released beforehand? Dude, I have no idea. Like, that makes zero sense in the context (laughs) of... This is, like, that spreadsheet of, like, resolution and frame rate is, like, a worst-case scenario sheet. Yeah, so... yeah, but I don't think I saw this. Right, so there was this spreadsheet they released where it was, like, okay, so... Because there wasn't, you know how normally there's performance and resolution mode. What this had was um, either ray tracing off or ray tracing on. Okay. And they released a spreadsheet. I can't remember the details of all the other consoles or anything like that, because obviously it had PlayStation 4 and Xbox One and Pro and One X and everything like that. But for the Series X and PS5 versions, on frame rate, ray tracing off, 60. Ray tracing on, 45. So me and Zach, we, we, we messaged each other and we were like, I think we're going to end up playing ray tracing off here. <laughs> like, like yeah. that doesn't sound good. Oh. And then it comes out, and the Digital Foundry did a, a look at the, the demo on PS5 originally, and they played it with ray tracing on and ray tracing off, and it ran near enough at 60 all the time. There were some dips, don't get me wrong, but with the ray tracing on, it's like, I was expecting this to be fucking awful with the ray tracing on, and it, it was as smooth as butter for the most part. Yeah, I really don't understand why that was there. There were like two scenes in that game. And they were not action or combat oriented. It was just you came around a corner and you saw like the next section of the map where I can repeatedly drop the frame rate into like the, the mid 40s, which is, you know, par for the course when you, when you turn on really heady features. But they're not like action sequences. So it's not like I feel like I'm missing anything by those two yeah. dips. But the rest of the game is like rock solid. I don't even understand why it shipped with a ray tracing off mode unless it's just for multiplayer that's going to show up. Oh, maybe. But the um, the, the interesting thing, the, the major frame dip that I noticed is, so this isn't any spoilers, there's there's these puzzles in the game which uh, they're like a screwball scramble kind of get the ball to a certain point and they're these huge, like, um, what would you call them, Zach? They're like kind of just dioramas almost? Yes. With the, yeah. yeah, they're like, one's like a castle and one's like a house and stuff like that. And you have to get the ball down, you have to rotate it. And the fourth one of those, weirdly, because it took me quite a few goes, every time the ball was in the very, very top section, the frame rate took a fucking shit. And I have no idea why. It was really the strangest place for it to start affecting the, the performance of the game. But it just did every time. Yeah, the only thing that I could figure out was that the game was starting to stream stuff from the background. Like for the next level, because in every one of those sections where I could drop the frame rate, it was literally just like I was getting ready to go to a new portion of the map. So maybe that was doing it. But yeah, every other frame drop was just odd and few and far between. Like it's it runs really well. Yeah. Um, I mean, going off the thing, I I think this will be on my game of the year list um, as it currently stands. Um, 
I'm a massive Resident Evil fan anyway, and sure. seven after five and six. I mean, five's okay. I, I've played five. I've probably played five a hell of a lot more than four, to be honest, for some random reason. You know, after Oof. five, five was okay. Six was diabolical. Um, you know, I I'd lost interest in the Resident <laughs> Evil series, and seven really brought that back. Well, I played seven, and I thought it was great, and then I replayed seven this year, ready for uh, Resi Eight, and I also we played the Resident Evil remake just before Christmas, and. The combination of the three things together, I am I am fucking back in with Resident Evil. It is back up there as one of my game, you know, favorite series ever. And this game really cemented that in, in, in the ways that I thought the pacing was actually really fucking good. This like I, I've seen some criticisms of it, but like yeah. moving from piece to piece, and like you said, I, I agree with you, it's a game to be finished. You know, it's been kind of designed to be finished. And the way you kind of go from the area, you know, the the I mentioned this on the latest retro show, you have there's like the four kind of areas outside of the village that you go to one by one. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people describe it as going to the different sections of Disneyland where, you know, it's yes. all completely different yeah. feel and everything like that. And I think the transition between those and, and some are shorter than others and some are longer than others. Um, the fuck is an ice cream man doing here? Can you hear that? Sorry. Yeah, I, should. <laughs> I thought it was my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. That's completely thrown me off. I wonder what the hell that was. Um, so, yeah, you know, some are some are quite short and some are quite long, but they all give you a completely different feel. But like, I never ever felt like any part of it was ever really going on too long at any point. And no. getting out of those, I always was eager to get onto the next one and see what that was about. Because once you get to the second one and you realize that oh. actually all of these are going to be very very different, that that made me want to go even further to go. Oh man, what's coming up next? You know, what is it going to be like? And I want to. I want to really, really play, praise Capcom because those trailers only showed you what the first two or three hours of the game. Tops. There was yeah, so, yeah, and, and yeah. There's no know, spoilers there. there. There was so much to see, and the story did have me riveted. And I unfortunately had a major, major plot point spoiled for me. Unfortunately, I told you what it was in the end, didn't I, Zach? What it was I had spoiled? Yeah, yeah. Um, sadly, so that was a bit of a shame at the end. But the ending's fucking mental but still ridiculously enjoyable <laughs> yeah and and like I, again i don't want to spoil anything for anybody you should play resident evil 8 um or village whatever it is you want to call it um you should play it um i will save this of the 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 four major areas two the first two are ridiculously strong the second one may be my favorite section in gaming in like the last five years um the third one is weak but it's weak by comparison to the second one and then the fourth one just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me the first one feels very much like a resident evil old school game the second one feels like fucking pt and it's pt mixed with an escape room uh scenario and it's so good and i don't want to spoil any of that Mm -hmm. but the third one is just kind of and the best way I can describe it is remember the section in Resident Evil 4 where you go across the lake like that whole area it's like that without the ogre without Mm -hmm. the big ta-da and then the fourth section is good but I just kind of got lost in it because I really wanted it to go back to the second section (laughs) but I thought all the boss yeah all the bosses were really well designed i thought that the final encounter was really good and i never got bored um and it's partially because the game's length is not long my second playthrough i ended up doing it in like seven hours and 12 minutes 
Yeah, I mean, the, I finished it, I think, around 10, the first, yeah. first playthrough, but I was trying to find everything because it has that uh, thing that Resident Evil games have done over recent years where um, the map icon will for the room will be a different color if there's still items for you to pick up. So I was searching for everything. Um, but yeah, it was short, but do you know what? There were, I felt like there was no wasted time. And I've said before about games being tight, like Resident Evil 3 Remake last year. Was that last year? Jesus. Year before? Yeah, last year. Um, yeah. It was... It was short and it was criticised for that, but I felt like not a moment was wasted and I felt like it was so well fucking paced. And you know what? I <laughs> I know a lot of people who go dollar to time spent in the game and I don't necessarily have... I don't have that mentality. I'd quite happily have a game this long if it was this good all the way through, all the time. Give me, give me shorter games. I don't mind. Yeah, if you had given me another 10 hours of that second section, I'd be happily still playing it. Yeah, oh, you know what? My my main criticism of that game is the rest of it isn't like that second section. Yeah, and that isn't like, because the rest of the game isn't good. It's because that bit is so good. So can I go off on a rant here for just one second? And I swear to God, I'll shut up and we can move on to something else. It's like, factory sale. I, that's all we ever do. Oh, <laughs> fucking shit, man. Why don't companies listen when people say stuff like that? Like, I have been harping on for years and years after the Midway guys and or the NetherRealm guys now that they're doing Mortal Kombat. Like... You should just, you've got this great roster of characters from the horror realm. So now they have like Freddy, Jason, Alien, Predator. Uh, in the newer games, they've added like more weird offshoot horror element characters. Like you've now got enough license for all of those. Just make a fucking horror fighting game. And like for <laughs> Resident Evil 2, like you've heard people clamor on for years now that we wanted PT. So you gave us a section of it that was PT for an hour. Fucking make a whole game that's just PT. Like, I, I just, like, I do believe that giving people what they ask for over and over again is not a bad idea from a sales side, especially when you can execute as well as Capcom does. Yeah. I mean, I just want them to make that game. It doesn't have to be in the Resident Evil series. Just make that fucking game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. In fact, I think that's my my guess is um, I know Microsoft is doing a, a ton of stuff with studios and Sony's been really quiet. My guess is Sony is actually going after a bigger Japanese studio like Konami or like, sorry, Konami um, or like <laughs> Capcom or one of those guys uh, because they haven't spent a huge amount of money in a while. In fact, the last thing that they picked up was Evo, the uh, fighting game tournament. So I'm willing to bet that they're looking to acquire a big studio like that. And maybe that's why we haven't seen anything like Silent Hill in a while. Do you think they get, I know Kojima's obviously independent now, but obviously he works with PlayStation quite a bit. Do you think they get him involved in any of those, uh, those franchises, I mean, whether it be Metal Gear or Silent, actually Silent Hill or anything like that? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, my theory is like they won't buy Konami as a company. They would just go and buy their game catalog and say like, "Hey, we're we're buying all these from you in the name," um, and then they would be free to do whatever they want. But man, what a tremendous year-spanning fuck you that would be for Kojima to get to work on like his own version of Metal Gear again, or Silent yeah. Hill, or any of those. That would be great. Are you gonna pick up eight, Eric? After you played seven again? Yeah, I need to get myself through seven. I am shocked that I have that I made it as far as I did in that game playing VR only. Ooh. I made it most of the way through the section of the house where the family is chasing you. The which, brown pants option. Um, <laughs> without spoiling it too much, how long does that section last? Because I really don't fucking like that part of the game. Like where you're sneaking through the house, like just after you wake up, eating dinner with the family and the dude is chasing you around through the house. Like that's not the whole game, is it? No, 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 no. Right. So the, the minor, minor, minor spoilers. He does that for a little while there. 
Um, and then there's a little section later on where the, there's literally a contained section where you have to avoid another one as she's kind of stalking you, but she's only within certain rooms. So okay. like, yeah, they're, they're few and far between. Okay, because I think that's what really put me off to seven uh, was that whole being stalked aspect. I just don't like that yeah. much in games anymore. I feel like it's a tired trope. It's not. It's not like Mister X. Okay, in Resi Two Remake. No, it, they they actually those stalking sections are actually very few and far between. Okay, and surprisingly, Good. it's not like that in Village either. Oh, yeah. I really actually. thought, like, from all the trailers, I really thought that Lady Dimitrescu was going to be like the new Mr. X and it really didn't pan out that way. And it was the way that it panned out was way better. Honestly. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Now, if you want to make a 12 hour game about Lady Dimitrescu and her backstory, I will play the shit out of it because she is an amazing villain. And the woman that I thought so, the woman that plays her is just such a remarkable sort of soul. She's done all these things where she's recorded like other lines from other Resident Evil games, but in Lady Dimitrescu's voice. So like the Jill sandwich, thank God it's funny shit. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you should definitely play it, Eric. You will love it. I'm looking forward to you playing it. I really am. But it's just like I said, I'm the one who's roped Eric into playing seven again, because I do believe that if you want to understand the last quarter of eight you need to understand seven well i just need to understand how uh my hand got cut off and then i woke up and my hand is back oh this game is hand torture porn just get ready for it it's yeah. just all the way through <laughs> both games really aren't they yeah. i mean like, i remember yeah, i remember seven i i had my hands tortured a lot but this one it gets way worse more towards yeah. the beginning like the very beginning it gets a fucking knife through it put through it doesn't it before she cuts it off with the chainsaw yeah yeah and i mean yeah. i i know that they're gonna grow back because you're sitting there at the table with the family and a guy gets his arm cut off he's like oh no not again <laughs> so are you gonna play the story dlc as well you're gonna do that i don't know they're you only should. like an hour or so yeah. each. yeah they they wrap up they wrap up a lot of loose ends of the story okay. plus the second one you play um as this like hillbilly louisiana hillbilly dude who uh uses his fists to kill everything oh hell yeah (laughs) count me in can i skip the whole game and go right to that i mean if you want (laughs) mission hank fist so i don't know it's it's gonna depend there's a lot of big games coming up here soon so yeah i'm i i'm really excited about ratchet and clank but honestly like i'm looking forward to a summer of trying to get through some of my backslog because i don't have a ton coming out that i'm super excited for i'm gonna be putting a ton of time into ratchet and clank and dark alliance those are my two biggest upcoming games i'm fucking gonna put an monstrous insane embarrassing amount of time into mario golf if it's any good provided it's good because provided it's good it looks a lot like hot shots and i can live with that i'm i'm a little um, skeptical because of how massively they shit the bed with uh, mario tennis aces yeah no i so, get it and, well we've mario, also got mario got, golf is my jam <laughs> i agree the one on the 3ds was mm, fair at best but i'm really looking forward to skyward sword because i really 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 have been hankering to play a 3d zelda did you ever play skyward sword i have not it's the it, i think yeah it's now the only mainline zelda i've not played yeah the only one that i have left is minish cap in between you and my wife there are enough God. people badgering me to play it that i probably feel back like to I have our to. previous conversation uh about telling you what to play fucking play it i know i'm just waiting on my uh pocket to show up i want to play that on a bigger screen how about you never mention that again I'm going to get you one. Relax. Okay. Be chill. <laughs> okay. I got it. Zachy says relax. 
Zachy says, relax. It's going to okay. be okay. I'll, I'll I believe promise you. you. I'll believe you because there is not enough salt in the world to uh, <laughs> match my level of not getting that. Are you sure? Because I have some working design games back here. You can go squat on some brat. And I see that damn snatcher sitting there. Hey, at least I sent you a pretty Mega Man case. You did, yes. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yeah, but so uh, yeah, we got some good games coming up. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm just looking here really quick as to what else I'm excited for. Uh, we've got this July. There really isn't a ton outside of Skyward Sword. Um, August. And some Joy-Cons none of us are actually going to get. What's, what's that? <laughs> and some Joy-Cons none of us are going to get. I am. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I have that's going to be a thing that's going to get stuck on some boat. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> did you actually get yours pre-ordered? I did. And then I sat back and I'm like, do I really need these? The Joy-Cons yeah. are the shittiest controller on the face of the earth. And these I'm not even going to open. So, but yeah, I, I need them. I want them, <laughs> but I really, really don't fucking need them. I really, no. really don't. I Dude, want I'm, Amiibo, though. I want I'm Amiibo a fucking sure. Switch Lite convert. Like my, now I've got three kids with them. My wife has one. I think I don't remember. I, I've got tons of switches in my house and copies of Animal Crossing. Have but they I ever? Am a, I am a Switch Lite convert, man. That fucking thing is amazing. Have they ever complained about not being able to put it on the TV? No, not once. Interesting, because I've been thinking about snagging one for my kids, but then again, I'd have to buy two because they're going to each yep. want one. Yep, I would do it soon. Hey, and they just released that pretty blue color. Ooh, There's a new one. one it's gorgeous. Yeah, but I, I, I'm all in. I'm honestly waiting. My Switch is kind of not on its last legs, but I've definitely gone through like three pairs of Joy-Cons. Um, and I'm just like, I refuse to buy myself a Switch Lite because I really want to see if there's a Switch Pro. For me, I don't give a shit as much about the portability as I do being able to play games on my TV well. Um, so yeah. for me, that would be a nice compromise is to have a Switch that's, you know, it works, but it's kind of janky at times. Kind of the opposite of Dan, whose Switch has been on the TV maybe twice since it released. Yeah, exactly. I am the polar opposite of Dan. Yeah. You can tell that from our AstroBot scores. See, I I, I've, I start getting drift on, because I've got two sets of Joy-Cons, and I've started getting drift on both. I do the old alcohol swab, cotton swab yeah. underneath, like every now and again, which, you know, temporarily fixes it. But getting that um, fixed dress one, cradle where i can just pop it on there and then use my pro controller like portably yeah. like that's, yeah. that's been a fucking winner for me i, I barely my joy cons barely ever get used anymore yep and man there's been some great switch games um i'm pl still playing ghost and goblins resurrection and that nice. is another of the long and hard difficult games that i just enjoy um but i've been really impressed because this last year we've gotten a ton of the uh, neo geo games on there and in there, in wonderful form, you get like the English and the Japanese version of the game and all the aspect ratio stuff's right. The sound is right. So I've been really, really happy with my Switch. All right. Sweet. Eric, shall what? I move on to uh, our planned topic for the show? Mm, yes, sir. I have prepared my thoughts. Very good. So, as part of our $5 Patreon backers, uh, it's something that, I'll be honest, we've been a bit awful at using just because, like, things have been coming up. Um, 
But we basically have a, a topic, uh, a, a thread put up on Patreon every single month where you can suggest uh, full-on conversations, topics, or like long-form questions or anything like that for side quests. And we are looking at one today. Um, it was given to us, I think it was a couple of months ago, from Hesley Haddy, Mr. Two Questions himself. Um, gaming Urban Legends. I remember reading Gaming EGM saying that if you beat Cruel Melee in Super Smash Melee, you'll unlock Sonic. Any game urban legends you guys wish were true and we've kind of taken that subject and just kind of gone let's choose a few that we we really like um as well just ones that we really enjoy and kind of you know we can wish they were true as well but we thought we'd kind of take that and just have kind of have a conversation about different urban legends and and stuff like so i was laying in bed thinking about this last night and there there are the obvious ones out there um you know the uh Missino, the Pokemon, your Lara Croft seeing her naked, things like that. But then it dawned on me in the 80s, there was a there was an arcade machine that was rumored to have existed that was supposedly created by the CIA. And it was uh, designed to um, test addictive qualities. And it the the game itself apparently had addictive qualities it produced migraines all this other fun stuff and there's only one of them in existence and every so often these men in black suits would come in and they would collect the data from this machine and and leave and it was an arcade machine called uh polybius and there's really loose evidence that this thing has ever existed and if it did it was largely a hoax in and of itself the people who have come out to kind of corroborate the story since then have been disproven but it's one of those really weird arcade games um just because of the unpleasant nature of the side effects amnesia insomnia hallucinations and then just one day it disappeared the people who were addicted i mean there were lines around the arcade to play this thing they came back one day and it's just gone no trace something else was slotted into its place and nobody ever like no that thing never was here the best thing about the polybius legend is that there are all everybody always comes out of the woodwork to say like oh i saw it and i played it but it only supposedly existed in one location in oregon you know yep there is i'm trying to find the name of the arcade um apparently it bounced around though appearing in several suburbs of portland oh that's true but i mean it was only like in one spot it was only in one geographic location i remember hearing about this in vermont but nobody knows oh yeah they had it over here nobody knows what the game actually was (laughs) no nobody Nobody can can actually say what it is but there are a million and one repro arcade cabinets here that are polybius like sort of branded that's sort of the urban legend of the joke living on but man i would i would be really interested to find out if this such a thing actually existed yeah it's it's a really neat little story that i remember hearing about um polybius is a a roman or an ancient greek god of cryptography and stuff like that so it's it's very intricately designed urban legend but uh yeah that's the one that that immediately sticks out to me is the legend of polybius I, I put a uh, call out to the uh, to the Breadwens to see if there's any... Uh, I only did it a couple of days ago, but on Discord and Facebook, see if there's any favorite ones that they liked. And Jeremy Keeney mentioned about um, mentioned this one. At least I think it was uh, this one he was mentioning. But um, I, I kind of looked into this because I'd never heard of this before. 
And uh, I, I, I was doing a little bit of research on it, and I was, uh, I'm on a website called avclub.com, and it was talked about the, the legend of it. And uh, there's a bit towards the end where it's talking about um, there may have been a real game messing with people's heads in 1981. An early version of Tempest caused epilepsy, motion sickness, and vertigo. One yep. player in Portland collapsed yep. while on the same day, a fellow Portlander got stomach cramps from playing Asteroids for 28, days, uh, 28 hours straight. Jeez. Was it Dan? <laughs> as, as you would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's a good one. The Legend of Polybius, yeah, that's yeah. that's quite the story. That'd be a great arcade cabinet to just make and have in your house have a pie like that. And then just put on some of those brain trans lights every so often. <laughs> so I had a little chance to think about this, uh, because Mike was kind enough to tell me about this topic ahead of time. Oh, Sorry, God. Eric, wasn't you? <laughs> I flat out but, told Mike I wasn't going to tell you, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good. Throw stuff at me at 10 o'clock in the morning. That's wise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so mine, I'm going to pull forward because I don't know that it's been proven or disproven. Uh, but have either of you heard of Petscop? You know what that is? It sounds familiar. So Petscop is a series of videos uploaded to YouTube about a man who has supposedly found a gold master cart or a, a programming uh playstation one game i'm not sure if it's playstation one or playstation two um and it's really just a series of videos him playing this game but as you watch the series of videos and there's a ton of them um it really speaks to um the sort of unreleased game nature that there's a bunch of like hints and easter eggs in this game but they're all centered around a girl who died back in 2000 called candace newmaker um, and it was a, this happened, oh gosh, where was it? I think it was, it was in Colorado, but I don't remember exactly where it was. Uh, but she was killed as a part of attachment therapy, which is like where they take you and wrap you in big ass blankets to break you of certain habits. And they killed this girl. Well, this game has all sorts of like links and hints about Candace Newmaker and about specific things that were listed in the investigation report and that he said. But the very odd thing is, as you play or as you start watching these videos, you recognize that sometimes the guy is playing it and sometimes the game is just playing by itself. Um, And it's this really intricate, very, very well detailed and interwoven series of videos about playing this unreleased game. Um, And if you have 10 or 20 hours of just sit there and mindlessly watch something, I highly recommend it. But it's really interesting because it's never really been proven or disproven who this person is. Is there a game out there that exists that is this or what ties does it legitimately have to Candace Newmaker? So I I found it really interesting and sort of a modern um, modern myth related to video games. I have not heard of that one now that I look into it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I'm just looking at it now. It's crazy. The uh, the first is, one that came to my David mind. David Lynch of video games. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The uh, the first one that came to my mind, and I'll be honest, I've I've got quite a bit of Pokemon stuff here, mainly because um, I I was I played Blue at the height of you know Pokemon coming out, so there's always there was there was a ridiculous amount of things coming out, um, you know, from things that I still do to this day where. Uh, if you hold A down whilst the po- whereas the Pokeball shuts, it's supposed to increase the capture rate and stuff like that. Or there's rumors about like tapping B as it happens and stuff like that. But to this day, when I throw a Pokeball, I hold A just as it opens. But um, the mo- one I wanted to uh, kind of bring up mainly was the Lavender Town uh, Syndrome. <sighs> I was just going to bring that up. That was my yeah, next one. This is my favorite one where, um, you know, the, the myth was that basically 
um, 100 Japanese children uh, aged between like 10 and 15 jump to their deaths and hang themselves or mutilate themselves following the release of Pokemon Red and Green um, due to the high-pitched noise in the music of Lavender Town in, uh, in Pokemon uh, Red and Green. <laughs> um, I've but, heard the music. It does make me want to kill myself. It's oh. Just because it's awful. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't help as well that like Lavender Town is supposed to be the spooky section of that of that game anyway, and you know the the entire part, the entire thing of that tower that's in there. I mean, and there's no gym there, so you go up the tower, and the entire thing is that the um, you know there's a ghost haunting it, and it turns out to be a fucking Mother Marowak that's upset about dying and leaving its fucking Cubone <laughs> alone, which is terrifying in its own sense. Um, right. But yeah, I always remember this one, and like. I didn't realize that, like, like when I was little, like I didn't realize that obviously they they did actually change the music when it came across the US and UK. Um, right, because all the kids had died. Yeah, <laughs> but going across to you know when you got to Lavender Town, it was always that kind of thing of like, Ooh. yeah, it was like <laughs> the North music? Coral. It's a North Coral theme being played by a bunch of fourth graders on a recorder. Oh my god! <laughs> if you've never had the pleasure of sitting through a grade school recorder concert. You're missing out. Yeah. Also, why don't you just stick some nails in my penis? It's about the same thing. It's <laughs> um, there's a bit here that I I, I didn't know about before. Uh, so obviously, well, I knew this bit, but you know, the ability to hear high pitched tones diminishes as you get older. But um, this this bit here is some versions of the urban legend say the game's director Satoshi Tajiri explicitly wanted the tone in the red version of the game to annoy children who picked it over green. Um, because he just <laughs> asshole. <laughs> And the urban legend also offers up a long explanation for Satoshi's supposed aversion to the color red, thanks to violent encounters with school bullies. Jesus. And every version of the urban legend accuses Nintendo of covering up the suicides to protect the Pokemon franchise's innocence. (laughs) Not realizing that it wouldn't be Nintendo doing that, it would be the Pokemon card company. Uh, Zach, from the early PC days, you could probably relate to this one because I know I bought into it hardcore and it has to do with uh, Diablo and a certain oh. warrior bovine. Yeah, the cow king. The cow warrior level. Um, yep. There was That's a, a good huge one. rumor that you could uh, access this place called the cow dimension where um the the cows there have gone through this transformation and are are ready to to fight back and and uh it ultimately ended up being nothing more than a, a true urban legend but they did sort of address that in Diablo 3 by actually allowing yeah. you to go to a place called the cow dimension yep and you just slaughtered cows it was wonderful well they, yeah, they that, also that in, one had huge traction i think that was kind of a beginning of the internet thing cuz remember that that was like mm-hmm. it started really right as the game launched and there was a ton of like not only like actual like forum posts, but like old BBX posts and stuff that talked about it too. So I think that one had legs. Actually, I take that back. That was Diablo two that they inc- included the secret right. cow level, but they, they, I think they also addressed it in three as well. But yeah, yeah, that yeah. Was the, that's the first one aside from the the Lara Croft seeing her naked in the shower that I, I really remember as buying into. But you're right, that was right at the beginning of the internet days. Yeah. I have a question about the the new Lara Croft code because like the the cheat codes for the original Tomb Raider you had to get her to 
like sidestep, then sidestep, and then backwards, uh. forwards, jump, and all that bollocks. I'm sure it's Tomb Raider 2, or is it Tomb Raider 3, where one of them literally just makes her explode? Yep. Yeah. And I'm wondering, is that, is that supposed to be some sort of tongue-in-cheek, are you trying to make her naked again? <laughs> yeah, I think it was, actually. Because that was right around the time they released play, uh, Tomb Raider 2, they also did the spread of Lauren Playboy. Remember that? Yep. That that was like a big deal. They had a bunch of video game characters that appeared in Playboy and they addressed it and they said like, yeah, it's never going to happen in game, but it's this joke that kind of goes around now, which is really kind of gross if you think about it. But, you know, hey, <laughs> it was the 90s. What do you want? <laughs> well, I, I think it was at the end of the game where she gets ready to walk into the shower and she looks at the camera and she's like, what? Did you think you yeah. were going to see more? And then it fades to black. But I remember there being told that... Uh, if you beat the game in a certain way or did X amount and whatever, I can't remember what it was that you'd actually get to see her nude at that scene instead of her looking yeah. at the camera. Nice. It's, the, uh, it's the Tomb Raider 2 uh, ending. Uh, that was yep. my, um, do you remember the uh, video yeah. game scene recreation thing? Yeah, that was, that was what I was doing. Don't you think you've seen enough? That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, I think the rumor on the first one was cause when, uh, when you do the training level in the mansion, when she gets out of the water, she goes, oh, time to get out of these wet clothes. Uh-huh. And I think, you know, oh, a lot I'm of the first wet. ones, it was, yeah, <laughs> it was like, it was all based around that. People heard that and they thought that, oh, well, we must be able to then. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get my jollies off to polygonal breasts. Woo-hoo. Oh, man. Yeah, I remember, I remember seeing the first nude raider patch on a PC and thinking to myself, like, yep, this is what you people deserve. Here's a whole <laughs> bunch of triangle titties. Have fun. Uh-huh. Well, Idos eventually got nude raider <laughs> shut down, too. Yeah, absolutely. Just because of how I mean, damaging and, it was. And for the right reasons. Yep. Yeah. Um, I really about, like the, okay. I, I was going to say, I really like the, the urban legends that sort of have some truth to them. Uh, because like originally, I mean, I'm an old school fighting game fan. So like the reptile uh, bit out of the original Mortal Kombat reptile yeah. was supposedly like, and it was a huge urban uh, legend before it, but that there was this mixture of Scorpion and Sub-Zero, which they did eventually put into a revision of the game and made him an unlockable called Reptile, uh, yep. which is how Reptile got his start. And it had ridiculous requirements. And I mean, by that, like literally like you had to play one stage and get perfects all the way to it, get fatalities all the way to it. But on this one stage, if a witch flew in front of the moon and you did these certain conditions, like you would get to play as him. And I remember being just flabbergasted that it was actually true. I saw it in an arcade once and then, you know, got to play against Reptile and went like, oh, I never want to do that again. Because when you put Scorpion and Sub-Zero together, they're fucking unstoppable. Yep. But, <laughs> but I, I really do enjoy those rumors that have some truth to them. Yeah, I remember uh, renting Mortal Kombat when I was younger and like just trying to figure out that that mystery of like of, of Reptile. Because I played Mortal Kombat 2 before, so I knew obviously Reptile exists in that. And yeah. there was all the things about, you know, having to wait until certain things were passing the moon and, and you know, you had to get a fatality on the spike level. And, and then you get those little bits where like he would show up and say something, wouldn't he? He'd come down and you yep. know, mock you. Yeah, he would just show up. Would, always thought that you know you'd be able to get him as a play as a playable character and like thinking about it because i played mortal kombat 2 first you know you could just play as reptile any old time and it's just like <laughs> trying to strive to go i want to play as reptile in this one yeah hey, yeah absolutely. <laughs> uh there's yeah, another one here that's okay. that's for a game that's coming up on the retro show uh mario galaxy 2 in the Shiverburn galaxy there's a spot where you can look up onto the mountains and you see these three tiny little silhouettes at the top of a cliff looking down at you. Oh, yeah, and they're terrifying. Have you yeah. seen them? The shadow yeah, people. Yeah, I, saw, yeah. I saw them in the ge- in game before like I saw anything about them online. 
so there's a somebody dug into the game's official files and it's it's labeled Hell Valley Sky Trees and Nintendo has never said anything about them. And that's, that's like that's the type of stuff that I like is it's completely innocuous. There's literally nothing. Th- th- there's probably just some dev that went, like, I'm just going to put this in here for fun and fuck with people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I mean, also, and that's the, oh, God, especially early in the 90s. Like that was a thing. Just devs putting stuff in. I mean, hell, the first Easter egg for any video game ever was an Atari game where the developer managed to sneak his name into the game Yep. Uh, because they didn't do credits before Activision. Yep. <laughs> Um, how um, many of you remember playing San Andreas and uh, trying to find Sasquatch? Oh, Bigfoot, yeah. Yeah. But to make mm-hmm. it even worse, though, like Terry Donovan, uh, one of the co-founders, he came out and he gave an equally ambiguous statement saying there's no Bigfoot just like in real life, but there is something in the woods. And like that just spawned it. And that's carried forward into GTA Five. Yeah. Yeah. Man. And like I feel like that that era was really like the raw discovery era for video games because the internet was a thing, but it was the first time like communities banded together to like find stuff. Like if you look at we were talking about Dark Souls earlier, like Dark Souls is really built on the idea that the community gets together and figure stuff out. Yep. And that didn't exist before that era of San Andreas where like people were working together to achieve a common task in a game. So I thought Bigfoot was a big one on the list, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, what I found whilst I was doing this research that I, I had no idea existed, I wanted to bring this one up mainly because of the reasoning behind it, which is hilarious. Um, so in, there was a How to Win at Nintendo Game uh, guidebook, um, and the, the author, Jeff Rovin, uh, he mentioned that he'd heard rumors of a secret level hidden in the game, and it would take place at a chocolate factory. Uh, he claimed he had no idea uh, where to access it, um, but the mere suggestion was all fans needed to dig in through the game in order to find it, so people spent ages trying to find it. Uh, he later revealed that, um, as it turns out, the myth was nothing more than a prank on his part because it was just a way to it. catch others plagiarizing his work. <laughs> That's awesome. It's genius. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, and again, back to the myths with some truth in them. I mean, even like, the, I remember there were some screenshots from Super Mario 64 that didn't exist in game yep. that were sort of development shots that ended up working their way and becoming Luigi's Mansion. So, like, oh, right. again, it's an I, urban legend. I remember being legend, told Luigi but, was on top of the castle. Oh, no, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. Yoshi. Yeah. Yoshi. Yoshi was on top of the castle. Yeah, but, but I yeah. always got told that if you could get up there early, like before knowing that when you finish the game, you can get up there. There was always this thing of like, there's a way to get around, like actually jump up the castle or a cannon would come out to get you up there, which obviously was kind of true. Uh, but you could get up there and play as Luigi. That's the one I always remember. Yeah. So the, the last one that I want to talk about, too, is actually something we've covered extensively on the retro show, uh, but not with not the normal cast. Uh, it has to do with Final Fantasy VIII. And it's not so much of an urban legend as it is a conspiracy theory, but I think the two are kind of intertwined. But the whole concept that Squall dies partway through the game and that the second half of the game is um, either him on his deathbed imagining all of this stuff that happens. Um, But yeah, we we talked about that quite extensively in our Final Fantasy VIII uh, episodes. I love that theory as well because well, like we, I love playing Final Fantasy VIII thinking about it. Yeah, yeah and we did one. we did a really cool playthrough where we each addressed it differently. Um, Kevin did an absolutely phenomenal zero run playthrough of the entire game, and I played through just looking and hunting for ways to prove that theory. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't think that it's true, but it's still really fun to think about. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, um, and some some urban legends become something, right? Like, I yeah. mean, the 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 biggest April Fool's joke ever in video games was Shenlong from Street Fighter. And oh, yeah. that ended up turning into a playable character in some of the later versions of the game because it was so popular. I thought that was a uh, mistranslation. So it's both. Uh, so okay. Shenlong uh, was a translation for Dragon Punch, which is in the original Chinese or the original which Japanese. Sure, you can. But we, yeah, but the problem was that it's sort of a mistranslation in that it came out as a formal name. So when the English version of that game came out and it said, you must defeat Shenlong to become a chance, it looked like a person. So what they did was they, the April Fool's joke that I think it was EGM put together was like, here are some ridiculous wind conditions. If you do this and get all the way to the last boss, um, you know, Shenlong, who was supposed to be uh, Ryu's master, came out and killed Bison and then you had to fight him and he was almost impossible. So what they did was they waited, you know, four or five years and then they put him in his Akama uh, and he became sort of this staple boss character for Street Fighter for a number of years after that. But it was only because so many people played the original Street Fighter looking for Shenlong and they recognized like, oh, shit, like we actually do need a, a hidden character element. I mean, did you ever see that April Fool's joke from uh, EGM2 magazine? Was the uh, the Street Fighter character Kuma would be you could unlock him in Resident Evil, and it was just a oh yeah just a, yeah. <laughs> just you could April shoot Fool's fireballs joke. and just destroy everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had some uh, listener ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, some of them have been touched on by us already, but Hesley Haddy he mentioned Bigfoot in San Andreas. He remembers camping in the woods at the moment to find it, but it never showed. Um, he mentioned obviously Sonic and Tails in Smash Brothers Melee by getting twenty knockout on Cruel. Um, Greg Plummer, this is one I kind of fell for a little bit actually back in the day. Back in the late nineties, a friend of mine told me that collecting all the one slash thirty fifth scale soldier one to thirty fifth scale soldiers in Final Fantasy VII would allow you to unlock a secret summon materia. Sadly, this was not true. I'm so glad we have the internet these days to fact check. Yeah, I do still miss stumbling upon cool secrets myself. I remember one as well where um, is it like a is it a Murasami or a Masamune model you can get on the roller coaster in Final Fantasy VII? And collecting a load of those, it was always the rumor that you could get that sword for Cloud. Get I don't Sephiroth remember that one. Oh, the Sephiroth sword, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. Uh, one that somebody called Hazel Tyson, no idea who she is, Sheesh. and also William Chard, um, both kind of mentioned one on Discord, one on uh, Facebook. Uh, Hazel put, you have no idea how long seven-year-old Hazel pressed buttons next to that truck in Vermilion City in the hope of getting that adorable little Mew that I would inevitably name Baby. Because <laughs> Hazel has this thing of calling her Pokemon Baby for some reason. But yeah, that is one I fell for as well. If you don't know about this, and because you're not much of a Pokemon player, Eric, um, near there's this boat you go onto called the SS Anne, and it eventually sails away and you can't get down the area anymore. But next to it is a, a little truck. And there's a way to manipulate the game to make sure you get surfed before you go down there. And you can surf across to the truck. And there was a rumors that basically Mew was under the truck and you could push it out the way. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> I fell for that one quite a lot. Uh, and then we've got Cody Halverson. Uh, he put also in the category of Pokemon. I remember a ton of rumors among my friends about how to get the Reggies in Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire. The one I remember the most was someone thought that if you listen to the music in one of the caves at a certain time, you'd be able to hear a soft voice giving you instructions. God. I, that's a new one to me, but... <laughs> uh, and Miles Prara, he mentions uh, both Sonic.exe and Ben Drowned. It's, ben Drowned is the Majora's Mask car, isn't it? Yeah, that, I... 
I, you know, it's funny. I thought about putting those on my list, but they're both creepy pastas. So I'm like, oh, those aren't really have urban you, legends. Speaking of the, like super good. creepy ones, have you heard about that Morrowind mod? Oh, yeah. That's a good so one. So this one is, I, I don't know the name of the mod itself, but apparently what happens is a lot of the NPCs in the game have died and they're all just laying motionless on the ground. And the the ones who haven't died have gone catatonic and they're just kind of staring up into the sky and when you try to talk to them the only thing they say is watch the sky and the sky itself has changed and it looks extremely realistic and people who have played the mod talk about being able to see this shadowy figure lurking just out of sight and when you change your camera to look at it it disappears but what takes it to the next level of ultimate creepy is people who have played this mod for prolonged periods of time have gone on to say that they've seen that that shadowy figure lurking near them in real life interesting yeah fuck that yeah i i read about that one years ago and i just i remember somebody saying like oh do you want to try it out like nope (laughs) i I don't need anything in my real life hey how did we not mention Mega Man x and the hadouken that's real I know, but I mean, that started as an urban, that started as people with just rumors, right? That started with everybody in the Mega Man game saying like, oh, you should be able to get Capcom moves or you should be able to get Street Fighter. And that like actually matriculated into Hadouken and later a Shuriken and yeah. one of the other Mega Man X games. So yep. those are great. <laughs> it's a bitch to get the Hadouken. Oh my God. Yeah, man. And it's equally difficult to, to pull it off and it's it's not really worth the effort, but fuck, it's cool. I remember listening to that episode where you were talking about getting a, a Duke with a Mega Man in. You know, yeah, it's I don't fun. Know if yeah, it didn't sound fun. But can we all agree that the biggest gaming myth of them all, gentlemen? I know what you're going to say. Blowing on your cart does something <laughs> yep. to make it work. It gives me the satisfaction <laughs> of making an effort. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I did something. <laughs> who knew for all those years it would have been much better just to use a q-tip and some rubbing alcohol <laughs> well it's not just that it's just a chance that you happen to blow it and put it back in the console and it read it that time that's <laughs> yeah. But, yeah total myth but you know yeah, what yeah. i think that has taught us that a good blow solves a lot of problems <laughs> that's true <laughs> Kneeling before oh, yeah. Nintendo is always the answer. <laughs> uh, so, Zach, you'll probably know that. Well, both of you, because you being the collectors and all that, like, you'll know this. So, obviously, there's that whole thing of blowing on your cartridge doesn't actually do anything. Uh, but what it does do is damage your contacts because yep. the moisture. Is that true or is that a yes, too? Yes, that is yeah. true because you're you. Every time you breathe out, you're exhaling moisture. It, it's it's microscopic particles, but water and electronics don't mix. And yep. especially those contact points, they erode very, very easily. Yeah, because they're pure copper. And yep. you adding your tiny little bits of saliva to them does not help them in any way, shape, or form. So do not <laughs> blow into your cartridges. Yeah. If you would like to do anything, take Q-tip and preferably isopropanol. But if not, just a little rubbing alcohol. Just get the Q-tip wet enough to barely be damp and then just scrub at the contacts. The and you will see a much better result. water you can find. Forly pro tip. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> so, um, I think, uh, I don't think we got anything else for, for this week, but uh, our next retro show is July 4th. Oh. Oh. <laughs> First, Eric does a show on his wife's birthday, and then next he's going to do it on America's birthday. Oh, Which one's man. more important, Eric? I'll put you on but the spot. The, <laughs> but, this, but the Speedo better show up in that show, or I'm just pulling all my Patreon dollars. <laughs> 
Oh no! All right. Well, I guess I'm wearing the speedo. <laughs> Sorry, so listeners. Funny. I did that one to you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, we're going to do be the video doing, version anymore. So we're going to be doing Terranigma for that show. Um, I don't know what we're really going to be talking about on the next side quest. Depends on what comes out between now and then. I think between finish now and Dark then. Souls two, and we'll have something to talk about. You know, funny enough, this morning I woke up and I was having I was having breakfast with Ellie, and she just out of the blue goes, "Dad, did you beat Dark Souls 2? And I'm like, "God damn it! Did Zach call her?" Every once in a while, he'll just text me about something, and I'll be like, "Play Dark Souls 2," and I'll get this. Fuck! So now I have to Thought play Dark forgotten. Souls 2 today. Thanks, Ellie. Uh, yep. Sorry. Also, you Patreon subscribers at $5 or above, uh, Eric should be recording his Q&A next week at some point to go up before the end of the week. There's some weird questions in this one. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I yeah, get, get some your in. questions in. Get, get yep. some more questions. You know, the more questions we have, the better. Um, you know, we I'm do say that, you know, these things only kind of work with your interaction. We do have plenty already for this one, but give him, give him some more weird ones if you want. And then Tom is after that, I believe. So is it Tom next? Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm always happy to show up and exercise my title as the alternate. Yeah. <laughs> is that your title? <laughs> I, I like the alternate. I, I like the, the piss kicker. Piss kicker is good, but that's a little too descriptive. I don't think you get iTunes viewership based on, we got the piss kicker coming on to the show today. I'm like, nah. <laughs> iTunes a little too crunchy for that. Well, I thought we only subbed you in when we couldn't get anyone else. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I guess we'll settle for this But Mike guy. loves me. He tells me two days ahead of time what we're talking about. So, you know. <laughs> I promise next time I still won't tell you what the topics are. I know. I know. I feel like you put me on the spot and I, you probably get better content out of me that way. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way. You don't get time to think about this and formulate your opinions. We just need that there snap judgment. That's right. Kotaku shit! This episode of Factory Sealed is brought to you by our wonderful Patreon sponsors, with an extra special thank you to Zach Foley, Santos Lopez, Sarah Irvine, Samuel Chun, Jeremy Lucas, Miles Prower, Nicholas Bradley, Chad Schaefer, Jordan Lawfrey, Stephanie, Richard Cutress, Thomas McGrew, John Weaver, Jason McGill, Haitani Spindash, Phil Gartside, Wes Rainey, Sholto, Drew Barlow, Mark Haddock, Dalton Souter, Juliet Breslin Romano, Tori Wolford, Gus Robin, Hesley Hattie, Aaron Lanning, Brandon Meyer, Colin Neblo, and Elliot Hughes.